Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode 2017 of Mario Odyssey. And if the name doesn't give it away, we are diving deep into Super Mario Odyssey impressions in this episode later in the show. Um, to be honest, we originally were going to call it Hats Off to Mario. And then I had a perfect segue to be like, really, we should say hats off to Nintendo. Because, like, have you seen those financials? But, alas, we didn't call it that, so I can't say that. So I'm just going to say we're also talking about Nintendo's financials. Uh, that will be coming up a little sooner in the episode than the impressions. Uh, they are kind of killing it this year, honestly. Um, so we're going to be looking not just at the numbers and the breakdown of what matters from that, but also their plans for 2018 and beyond, which includes potential first signs of Switch going a little more casual-friendly, perhaps. And some Amiibo somehow outliving all toy to life brands and being the one sole survivor so we have all that um which comes courtesy of the investor meeting and the q a from that and transcripts of all that plus of course smattering of other news so there are timestamps around town.com on the blog post for this episode use those to jump around or just sit back and relax and hear a whole bunch of numbers during your way because to set the scene a bit we should probably start with a look at just Nintendo's financials on like the highest level and how they're doing overall because that sort of informs and dictates how everything else is going to go this episode. So, well, right before we do that, shout yeah. out to our friend that actually came up with yes. the Yes, oh yeah, episode. of course, yeah, Kevin, our friend Kevin came oh, up with that rude. episode title. I meant to say it, but I forgot. Yeah, but well, shout out to him because that's actually a really good title. Quite possibly one of my favorite in a very long time. I think Horse of Cards about the uh, card jockey game on 3DS still still takes the cake, but 2017 is it's even more relevant games. now than ever. Yeah, yeah. As as Hollywood crumbles around us, the least video games for now are okay. Although I guess <laughs> they started it with Gamergate and then it all spun out from there, all the craziness. But I mean, video games did Gamergate didn't start <laughs> molesting, but I mean, just conceptually, the the. All right, let's yeah. go back to our happy Nintendo yeah, conversation. So, so not as exciting financials, but yeah, 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 not as exciting, but uh, still interesting. But yeah, yeah. So, so what I was gonna say is we're kind of looking at it at highest level, and we're gonna kind of walk through each pillar of Nintendo, so to speak. So, to say the numbers are good would probably be a bit of an understatement, um, and I say that simply because Nintendo reported a 175 percent growth in sales year over year. This is comparing the first six months of the current fiscal year, which is April 1st through September 30th of this year, to the same six-month period a year ago. So we're talking about going from the dead final Wii U months to the polar opposite of the Switch in this, you know, in these six months. So it makes sense the sales are up, but nonetheless, 175% growth is a huge thing, like regardless of how it came to be. that That's big. And in terms of actual numbers, they went from sales last year of – 1.2 billion dollars or 136.8 billion yen to 374 billion yen which translates to 3.29 billion dollars well, so it's a big jump it's a big jump and uh to be to be clear though year both this year and last year has been profitable like it's not like they weren't making money last year it's just significantly lower amounts like they brought in 337 million dollars in the first uh, six months of last fiscal year compared to the now 463 million dollars this fiscal year. So it's not like they're just sitting around losing money or hemorrhaging money. They, you know, they were, even with the Wii U kind of falling apart, they still had the 3DS. They had their, they were starting to dip into mobile. They had Amiibo. They had licensing deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, thanks to Switch, we're now talking about Nintendo on this whole other level compared to a year ago. And the Switch itself is actually doing quite well. It sold an additional 2.93 million units in just the past, uh, 
period here, bringing the life-to-date sales of the system to 7.3 million worldwide. To give you some perspective, in the five years that Wii U's been out, it sold a total of 13.56 million and kind of stopped there. Uh, that means that in less than eight months, the Switch has sold more than half of the entirety of the Wii U install base. What took Wii U five years, Switch did half of in eight months. That's kind of insane. And I think it says a lot both about the Switch's success and Wii U's ultimate failure. Um, in fact, I think it says so much specifically about Switch's success that um, Nintendo's now come out and actually changed their Switch forecasts entirely. So originally, they were aiming to sell 10 million of them this fiscal year. So again, from April 1st of this year to March 31st of next year. Now, however, that forecast has been raised to 14 million, so 4 million more, which again, for those keeping score at home, means that Switch will exceed the total lifetime sales of Wii U in its first year alone. Jeez. Yeah. In fact, it will be even further ahead of Wii U once you go back and add what it sold during its launch month, which was the Switch, which was, you know, technically last fiscal year. So that's another 2.7 million on top of the 14 million Nintendo's expecting by end of March, meaning by April of next year, there will be 16.7 million Switches sold if their predictions are right. That's a lot. That's significantly more than the 13.0 million in five years that the Wii U sold. Also so news for online multiplayer games. Yeah, yeah, there's actually a base now, which, which is, is nice. funny now that I think about it, because even though, I mean, yeah, there was definitely, um, there were quite a few games on the Wii U where it was hard to find someone to play with, but, I mean, Mario Kart and Smash Brothers, I feel they never had that issue, so it wasn't that big a deal, but mm-hmm. I remember specifically Rumbo in the beginning, it was like, the first week it was out, it was like, oh, cool, I could get a whole room of nine, yeah. Now I don't. I don't now think you I, can't. We tried. A few yeah, weeks you, you, ago. Can, you, you can't cannot. even. Yeah, you can't even play. Yeah. Like, uh, there's like always like maybe two or three people, but then they get tired of waiting, so then they leave, and yeah, that's pretty much. That's it. always been the curse of Nintendo's like online for third parties is more often than not, especially on Wii U, somewhat on 3DS. Um, you would have this situation where just there weren't people to play, so you could have this great game with this original idea like Rumbo or whatever. And then there just weren't people there. So the game was undermined by the lack of players, which it was a catch-22 because then you stopped playing. So then you become a lack of player for someone else. It's it's great that even though – I mean a lot of people – even though a lot of people didn't own Rumbo just by Wii U numbers. Yeah. Like I feel like a lot of people definitely knew about Rumbo just because like like I myself like exposed a lot of people that did not have a Wii U to Rumbo. Yeah. To the point where when it was brought up in conversation – like randomly, like they were able to like, oh, I know that game, I like that game. Yeah, Rumbo, Rumbo was basically has, treated like a first party. Yeah, game, like like it why. has a decent amount of infamy now that when it is coming out on Switch eventually, I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll do really well. Yeah, and it is for sure coming yeah. on Switch. They announced, yeah, yeah, but, that's like, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's Rumbo. I mean, Nintendo, the way they pushed it themselves, it was basically treated like a first party release, even though it was 13 a.m. games and not Nintendo. Yeah, especially just the way it um brought together all those indie character cameos. Yeah, it's some Smash vibes. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It was a good game. It's still a good game. But, but yeah, so the good news for you is the, ins- the online base is only going to get bigger because now it's there to 16 million. It gets crazier from there. In a separate report from the Wall Street Journal um, that came out after Nintendo's financials, came out this past week, they say that according to their sources, Nintendo is considering doubling Switch production next, next fiscal year, which means April 2018 to March 2019. What that means is they will be producing at minimum 25 to 30 million switches to sell in that one year that, so that is they had twice as many they had half as many warehouses just 
doing nothing or just no they're adding out? they're adding to the <laughs> or just setting the no, dial two times yeah, two speed. yeah they, they do times two and they pump out twice as fast and then there's just one guy like oh not again and he's like <laughs> juggling them all and yeah that's all it is no they um they are they would bring on more component maker or yeah component makers and they just ramp it up and bring in more factories and more assembly lines but that's an insane number that's more switches in one year if they hit 30 million than nintendo has ever sold of wii in a single year at its peak and the only machine that comes close to matching that or does match that is the ds in one year of sales in its peak of 2008 2007 2007 2008 so nintendo has now gone from yeah, the Switch is probably going to do pretty good to, oh, maybe if we're lucky, we'll hit Wii numbers, too. We're on year two, and we're already matching the, the DS at its peak, assuming that this turns out to be true, this report. Yeah, Which is insane. Momentum. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're still writing the the, the off-year release. and I mean, mm-hmm. we do have the holidays, which is almost like a guaranteed it's, second it's a Mario push, season. But... I don't know. Well, yeah, that's kind of the question. People though. are starting to wonder, like, what's the next, like, what do they have next year? That, that's but, the question, is, like, how do they sell all those switches? Not just like the crazy thirty million that the Wall Street Journal is reporting. How do they even sell the sixteen or the get up to the sixteen million that we were just talking about? You know, the bump of four million in sales. And I think first of all, I mean, before we even worry about what's the next game, we need to address the fact that like they need to ship enough of the damn thing. Like, there's just not <laughs> they're getting there, but up to this point, it's really hard to get a switch. And it's been the one thing kind of holding it back. To Nintendo's credit. They're being quite open about what's going on. Like, I was kind of surprised that during the Q and A portion of the financial briefing, and yes, I read through the whole transcript because I'm that I'm that nerd. But during the Q and A portion, uh, Nintendo's president Tatsumi Kimishima, he just straight up was like, "Yeah, we misjudged it. We were too conservative." I think is the exact wording he used. We were too conservative with our estimates. So in the time since, Nintendo's now been working to ramp everything up. To your point about like, how do they double it? They, he specifically was like, yeah, we're talking to component makers, we're adjusting assembly lines, we're adding new assembly lines. So they're really trying to expedite things. And he seemed pretty confident in that transcript that they're going to be able to deliver the, that $14 million. Like it, It's interesting because he gave all this breakdown. If they hit the $14 million goal, that means that in just these six months of the second half of their fiscal year, so just October through March, they have to ship $10 million alone just in that period to get to that $14 million. That means on average they're shipping 1.6 million units per month from now till March of switches. Hmm. That's a number that like in April sounded impossible or absurd or like one, they would never sell that many. Two, they aren't producing nearly that many and now here we are at both. And it seems like they're very confident that they are actually going to be able to produce these numbers if not exceed them. Like these are numbers Wii U wished it had. Like 1.6 million in a month? (laughs) Like Wii U never did that. But they do seem pretty confident. Like in the same Q and A, Kimishima was saying they're upping their advertising spend significantly. They're gonna have more hands-on events. They're gonna have more literal just commercials and ads. Like there's a Portugal train station, I think it was, that's completely taken over with Nintendo ads now. Like it's on all the walls and everything. Which you don't, you didn't used to see Nintendo do that back in the day. So they're they're making moves and like hand, hands-on opportunities. Um, Nintendo Holiday Mall tours back. The mall Holiday Mall experience, I mean. If you recall, last year they just didn't do it, which was the first time in like since like 2004 or something. But now it's back, and surprise, surprise, it's mostly focusing on Switch. Of the 13 games that will be on display, 10 of them are Switch, 3 of them are 3DS. One of them is randomly New Super Mario Bros. 2, a game from 2013. Why is it there? I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. But um, yeah, so like they're really – if they were worried about shortages, I don't think they would bother spending the money to do like a – 
tour to go try the thing you can't buy for another year. So I think it shows a sign of confidence. Actually, for those who are interested in checking out the tour, we have a link on the blog post for this episode that lists the 17 participating malls if you want to go see if there's one near you. Alternatively, if there's not one near you, there's one near me. 10 minutes from my house so come on over everyone we'll go together no um, no but the reason i'm bringing it up is i'm gonna have an article going up this week i'm gonna go check it out take photos scope it all out um get a free if you go you can get a free uh my nintendo point card and it'll give you one of three or four different coin counts at random for your account so and they're all like art from games and stuff so maybe we'll get one of those but yeah so that'll be up on the site soon keep an eye out but the point is they're doing stuff like that and like likewise switch is popping up not just in black friday ads but like on the cover of Black Friday ads, like on Walmart's Black Friday ad, it is front and center. Well, bottom left, but it's basically front and center. And like, if you have shortages or if you don't think you're going to hit inventory, you would not say, yeah, could you put me on the cover of your Black Friday ad? You would not tell Best Buy or Target to put you in their commercial. So, which, which it is in both. So there's this huge amount of confidence that they're going to hit the stock inventory goals, it looks like. And that, that's of course always a good thing. I mean, anecdotally, I was just at Best Buy yesterday, and they had 12. They had, like, a dozen switches just in one of those product cages. Granted, it was in a cage that was, like, behind a cash register in a corner, and they were on the floor, so you couldn't really see them. But they had – I've never seen that many switches in one place. They had switches. Outside of launch? Outside of launch. Or, outs- or outside of launch or outside of when I went to, like, uh, the Nintendo World Championship. Oh, you're Final, right. Finals with yeah, you. Yeah, they did have or a lot finals, of uh, – qualifiers. Yeah, they did have a lot of switches there. They also had a lot of switches. Um, I went back to that Best Buy to try mario odyssey they had like a demo day like the saturday before the game came out i got some cool little postcards and yeah they had like a little mountain of switches there too but this is the first time i've just seen them in the wild without any marketing like event tie-in so it's happening it's happening guys they're finally catching up we're past the the dark ages so to speak i mean have you have you actually seen any in the wild yeah like in large quantities not in large quantities it's always been at least like five or six of them just Mm -hmm behind the glass or wherever they keep the switches it was interesting at Best Buy they only had the grey no neon I've only seen the neon like a handful of times but yeah it's almost always the grey the neon's the unicorn I guess but but of course then the second part of this is so once inventory moves onto shelves for the holidays Nintendo you know they need to sell games for it and the short the short term plan this isn't a surprise I don't think but their short term plan is to leverage all the games that people wanted but just couldn't buy because they didn't have a system to play it on so Kimishima specifically said that like the reason we're seeing Breath of the Wild's Champions uh, Champions Ballad come out like the DLC come out now specifically, or the reason Snipper Clips Plus is having its Plus expansion now is because they're trying to sort of bubble up these games from early on in the Switch days. Because now there's always new customers, always new opportunities to sell these games from March and April and whatnot, and that that's a big reason why they're suddenly Snipper Clips has a physical release. So or why Zelda Zelda's actually a weird one. It's why Zelda has a new Explorer's Edition. Now, he didn't directly draw that line. Kimishima just said they're doing DLC as a way to get people to check out these games. Did the Explorer's Edition come with a DLC? No. Yeah, it didn't seem like it did. No, but it is a way to re-bubble up the game. Which is weird. I I would imagine it'd be like like a complete, like pretty much like every... Well... Then again, we're talking about Nintendo here. Yeah, nothing they do so, makes sense. Uh, yeah. But except now we're going to analyze the next two hours how everything they're doing makes total sense. So, you know, it's Nintendo for you. But no, the, the, the Explorer's Edition is weird to me. Because, like, for those who don't know anything about it, they announced it. It's coming out Black Friday week. And normally Nintendo gives a second win to a physical release by either bundling it with hardware or adding, you know, the player's choice insignia on it. Or more recently, Nintendo Selects is the term they use for it, where they do the price drop with the repackaging. 
But with Zelda, I don't like those packagings. Yeah, I don't like it. I like players. I don't like the idea of shrinking the art. I, just I was so okay lit. with players' choice on GameCube because oh, they just had the yellow bar at the top. Yeah, those are cool. That was cool. But even then, I always was like, oh, but it's not the original print. Like, it's not the truest form of the game. It's this weird, like, no, yeah, look but... at me, I'm already popular. Come buy me, version. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't mind it for some games, but no, I, I, I don't like selects where they do the whole border. Right? No, yeah, like I, I, well, let me rephrase. I like conceptually the fact that they have a unified look with the border around it. I don't like that the border. I just don't know how the, the border. I, yeah, this reminds me of the what game was it? It was a Capcom game. Like it was like one of the most infamous cases of where they oh, like they did the yeah, whole, yeah, yeah, they did yeah, like yeah. the border. Thing no, it the wasn't, game within it wasn't the border. Capcom. It was Konami and it was Castlevania. You're right. Best value price. Or yeah, something. they had two. They had two games inside. They or put, something like that. So the box art was a two artwork art. of the box art. So it was a box in a box. It's like Inception-y. Like there's a picture of a box inside a box on a box. Yeah, it, it looked like and something someone... And it said, it said on... Konami three times. <laughs> it was like Konami, Konami. I know. Konami. It, it just looked like one of those, like, like a Photoshop it, thing someone yeah, did. Yeah, it looked... It, yeah, it was very like... Like, like amateur it's like, Photoshop it's or something. It's one of those images where it's like you keep... It keeps... It animates and it keeps spin, like zooming you in and it just never ends. It's like a loop of zooms. Like they themselves couldn't find the original art so they're like, oh, just Google it. Well, I mean, remember when Capcom couldn't find the original art for Akami and on Wii and they put... The Wii version of Akami had um, the, oh, the IGN, IGN bar yeah. mark on it. Yeah. Quality. But yeah, so... In the case of Explorer's Edition for Zelda, they're not putting any of that branding on it which is unusual for Nintendo. Instead, what they're doing is it's a whole new physical version. The game itself is the same, but it comes out, like I said, Black Friday week, but with a 100-page guidebook included and a two-sided map included. And they're selling the entire thing at the standard $60 MSRP. So in a way, it's a good deal because you're getting the game plus a book plus a map for the price of just the, what the game was. So it's kind of like a price drop in disguise. It's like a combo meal where they make <laughs> you think it's good, but it's really the same. Um, but... It's still, I don't know, the cynical part of me, like the cynical part of me feels like Nintendo did this because it kind of lets them double dip on the fan base in a way. Like it's new. Quote, Wait, you unquote. think someone would double dip? Yeah. Well, hold on. First, yeah. let, me, let me finish my thought. I think Nintendo's making, Nintendo's double dipping by appealing to both new fans and return fans, and I do think fans will double dip. So on the new front, first of all, it's new enough that I think, and different enough, Explorer's Edition, that I think that Nintendo is expecting stores to kind of give it a push, like a new release. And sure enough, it's in Walmart's Black Friday. It's like, get Zelda Special Edition, Explorer's Edition, as if it's something really exciting and different. So that's kind of working. But at the same time, yeah, I think there are some Zelda fans who need every single version of the game for collecting purposes. Jeez. Granted, it's a small number. Don't get me Concerned wrong. Considering the Master Edition and the... Yeah, the but I think other... Nintendo knows a couple people are going to do that. I don't think enough oh, to... Yeah. Just no, yeah, them. definitely. I mean... I mean need you to... never counted that. I'm just talking about the... I don't know. The mid-tier Zelda fan? The one that really Well, let me put this way. Need I remind you that sales of Breath of the Wild back in March when the Switch came out exceeded sales of the Switch because people were buying all the versions? That was a thing. It was like a couple couple tens of thousands more copies of the game on Switch than of the Switch that plays said game. So I think here's this fourth version now, and I think some fans are going to be like, Welp. How else do I get the map and the mini guidebook? It's especially because if you didn't notice, Explorer's Edition has new art of Link. Art they haven't released anywhere else. The box art is him like a side profile from like charging forward or something. That's not art they've ever had before. So some sucker is going to be like, this is for me. I'm going to spend $60. For you? No, no, no. I'm not going to do it. And it's a small group. But my point is like they can not only get the per- the plus of 
it being treated like a new release, even though it's a game from six months ago. But they can also have a couple fans double dip, so it's extra money for them. Hmm. It's kind of like I don't know if it's the no, right. No, it's yeah, the version the right to get if you don't have it. It is, and... but it does include DLC. It does uh, does not include DLC, yeah, which is funny. But I mean, part of that's because I don't think the like uh, the well, Champions the... Ballad is apparently not coming out till December. I know, possibly not as only, late as not only that's not coming out, but we still don't even really know what it is. What it is? Yeah, which it's really weird. I love slash hate. I love as in like the oh, I love when I love when Nintendo's like we're gonna release something in ta- by this point, and then they sneak it in literally like in the final hours of that point. Like you know, like oh, before the end of the fiscal year, we'll release the 3ds. Okay, they released it four days before the end of the fiscal year. I guess I know, that it's that launch window thing. It's like yeah. it's still within the launch window. Like yeah, barely. Yeah, or like um, in the case of Champions Ballad DLC, apparently, apparently, um, it based on what was listed. I think it was Japan's Zelda website e-shop. was saying it's going to be out December thirty first. No, it was on the eShop. Yeah, uh, on the US eShop or no? It was, Europe's it was on eShop. a eShop. Europe's eShop. A yeah. eShop. Yeah, know. and eShop. Uh, not to. A grammar. No, yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, yeah, Any but genre. it's uh, yeah, it December thirty first. I mean, that shouldn't be too surprising. This is the same Nintendo that just out of the blue was like, "Hey, do you want the new style savvy for 3ds America in Europe and Japan? You can buy it as a physical box right now. In America, we'll put it out on Christmas morning on the eShop. Merry Christmas!" Like they just now release things on holidays. I guess I, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, to be to be clear, the whole like the Zelda thing, Kimishima's point about using DLC to bubble things up. It's not necessarily just paid DLC or physical updates that we're talking about here. Nintendo's obviously doing it with Splatoon 2 and ARMS as well, which is something Kimishima pointed out. And, you know, by constantly updating these games with continuous new things, they're keeping them on people's mind more. So if you're a new Switch owner and you keep seeing things about Splatoon, this game that, you know, was from four months before you bought your Switch, you don't know if it's good or not. You keep getting pushed like, hey, hey, maybe you should check out Splatoon. This might be worth buying. Hey, do you hear about Splatoon? So that's kind of why I think they do what they do. In the case of Splatoon, uh, obviously we're getting new weapons and stages somewhat regularly, and there's also the Splatfest, but I, n- I know you have a bone to pick with the Splatfest. I, I agree with you 100% on this. But... Yeah. I mean, I want to say it's a bone to pick because I haven't even really played Splatoon a lot lately. It's just more disappointment. The yeah, just the topics are just boring. Or, they're not it, just boring, they're, they're just, just they're, they're, weird. Yeah, they're boring, weird, and... It's hard. Boring, boring and weird. Yeah. They, they don't feel as um, yeah, as they're know. not as they, they don't feel as divisive as they were in Splatoon One. Like I don't know, fried versus fried with lemon. Yeah, that's, so that that's the new one in Japan that just happened or is about to happen. Well, so they just announced fried and fried with. Uh, do you like fried things with lemon or without lemon? And apparently, toilet paper in or toilet, toilet paper, paper over or under. Over under. Over under was actually kind of a clever one. That that one I don't hate. Um, the European um, warm cold, breakfast, cold yeah, breakfast. Yeah, warm breakfast, cold breakfast. That one I know they're pretty passionate about breakfast in in the old country, but it's yeah, that one was a bit much. I do like the new one they just announced. Like so, we sort of plotted out some of the talking points for this episode, or like days ago. And then as I'm preparing everything for today's recording. Nintendo's just like, oh, by the way, here's a Splatfest for America, sci-fi or fantasy. That one I like. That one you could be really passionate about because that, that's a big – like there's a nerd battle of like is science fiction better or is fantasy better? Are you more a Game of Thrones person or a Star Wars person? Are you more Lord of the Rings or are you more Battlestar Galactic? Like there's – that they, one the, I feel All like, the things you named, you're like kind of both. I lean towards sci-fi more. 
I'm definitely more of a sci-fi person. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings person. I do like Game of Thrones, but I like it because it's basically a political drama. Same reason I like House of Cards. Or what's left of House of Cards. But it's, um, yeah, it's, I, that one I think is good, but the others have not been good. Really. Yeah. There's, it, it, it's hard to rally behind it. It's really hard to do hashtag team fried food with lemon versus hashtag like, yeah, even from the beginning, cake like, versus ice cream. Cake versus ice cream, ketchup. Well, ketchup versus mustard kind of had a... Well, see, but that was the problem. It wasn't mustard. It was mayo. Oh, it was mayo. Now, granted, team mayo see, for that's, life. Yeah, that's, but what, that's what it should have been. Team mustard mayo for mayo. life. But, yeah, but yeah. yeah, mustard and... I mean, see, I, I keep getting messed up. Yeah, mayo and ketchup just feel... That's a weird one. Yeah, I just feel like they were... Yeah, it's just weird because they're like... Dogs versus... Ki- I mean, yeah, the original Splatoon spot for like dogs and cats and like... Day person or night person. Yeah, I was about to say day or was, night. I, I thought that one was funny just because... Um, the night people ended up winning just because they would play a lot more at night. night yeah, yeah. <laughs> when everyone was working asleep. during the yeah, day, yeah, 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 like they're working. So it's it, it was rigged. Yeah, it's 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 all rigged. But no, it's uh, I agree, it's not ideal. But at least they're still doing them, and that plus the stages plus the weapons is keeping Splatoon kind of yeah, on people. The, I mean, we're seeing you're talking about it, so it's working. Yeah, the sponsored ones are always the best ones. Yeah, the as, 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 as weird as they are, yeah, they had a SpongeBob versus Patrick, Autobots versus Decepticons, yeah. Red Version. We have red version versus blue, blue version. version. Well, yeah, yeah, those are always good. Um, I would be game for. They should definitely. I mean, I don't know. At some point, I feel like they're gonna. They have to you know do like a, like a Mario versus Luigi. I was, about, I was gonna say no, not even that. Mario versus Zelda. People are passionate. Like, which is the top Nintendo franchise? People are passionate about that. Um, I'm more of a Mario person, but I have like coworkers who may or may not be listening to this. Who are, at least one of them I know for sure is more of a Zelda person to the point that he hasn't bought Mario yet because he's like, I'll get around to it. But, like, I'm the Zelda guy. Like, some people get really passionate about that. Like, I mean, what, where, where do you fall, Mario versus Zelda? Or do you not? I mean, I'd pick Mario, but... Uh, I don't know. That, that, to me, that's bad. It just doesn't sound exciting. Really? Yeah. Well, do you, is there not one you gravitate towards more? I'm just asking on a general level. Well, yeah, well Mario, Mario. For, Mario for sure, but... Uh, it just doesn't... But, but I'm not, like... Yeah. I, I don't know. I think Mario I, Luigi I, I think... would be good, too. But Luigi would win because he got all the pity points from everyone. See, it's like, um... Like Peach versus Daisy. Or, or Peach this way, versus like, Daisy. Like, it wouldn't be... It's not enough to get me to want to play it. There's, sure. Like, I'm trying to think So of, what would get you want to play it? Because that's the thing. Is I don't, it sounds like... Mm. The ones that got you want to play it were also the ones that happened very early when you were playing it anyway. So I don't know how much yeah. it is Nintendo's themes versus your general yeah, waning interest, you know? I mean, they got me to play with Autobots vs. Decepticons. Well, that's but I know, I know. Oh, Ninja Turtles. It has to be like 2003 versus 2010 or whatever. No, that's way too specific for them to want to do something I know, like that. I know. But I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, because like for me, it's funny because I think we almost play it diff- like reverse because Splatfest, I think, for the most part, get me back into Splatoon when I'm out of Splatoon. But I feel like with you, Splatfest keep you at Splatoon if you're already in Splatoon, but don't make you come back to Splatoon. They kind of did in the beginning just because I was just trying. It was also more novel back then. Yeah, I was just like, oh, cool, it's a good... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I typically don't really care too much. Because I, I, I saw Splatfest as an, uh, as an opportunity to grind um, ability chunks so yeah. that I could customize my clothes and stuff. But since I kind of saw playing Splatoon... I... It's meaningless, yeah. Yeah, so... Me- meanwhile, I saw Splatfest as a chance to be like, oh, cool, I'm going to I mean, a few topic hours is... and then tweet something. <laughs> I don't know, honestly, it's also... Um, if. It also comes down to how many people in my core group of friends are playing on my friends list. And a lot of them that used to play Splatoon all the time kind of don't really play it anymore. Because I would play with them a lot. Right. Like, I would play with my friend Nigel. But he is kind Shout of more Nigel, who does actually occasionally listen to us. 
Yeah. Like, I don't even know what he's been playing lately, but I feel like Mario? it's not Splatoon. Yeah. Everyone's just playing Mario. I, yeah. I remember I opened my friends list, and someone was not playing Mario, and everyone everyone else playing Mario. I'm just like, what's this guy? Well, I mean, that's what's... how I felt the first week. Now it feels like everyone is kind of playing other things now. A little, yeah. But it's I've, still I've seen a lot of Mario, Mario and Rabbids, a lot of Doom, especially Doom lately. Doom, I, I'm super excited to pick up Doom. I I should have gotten it today, actually, but I did not. But I, I'm really excited for that. Splatoon is creeping back up. Yeah, because you know why? People are training up for fried food with lemon or fried... Well, no, that's in Japan. I don't know, they're doing fantasy, fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so I guess... So Splatoon, whether or not... Whether or not it's working on you, nonetheless, it's keeping you in your... All this is keeping it in your conscience at some level, which is kind of Nintendo's intention. Like, having this stuff going on for people that are new to Switch, it's a great way to get them to be like, what's this Splatfest they're talking about? What's Splatoon? What's an Inkling? Et cetera, et cetera. And then they go pick it up. Similarly... (laughs) They should do Joy-Con versus... Pro Controller? Yeah, Pro Controller. I feel like that one would get me to play. It would be interesting because whoever wins will become the most... The preferred control option for pretty much everyone. Yeah. Yeah, because that would literally determine which one's better. Yeah, Yeah, at least in theory. Mm-hmm. But but perhaps a bit more or on... handheld versus docked or whatever. Well, that one's interesting. We'll get to that. But Nintendo has stats on how people play, and you'd be surprised. That's a tease for like twenty minutes from now. Cut to commercial that we don't have. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say that. So Splatoon seems like it doesn't necessarily sell everyone up. At least keep you in mind. Perhaps one that's a bit more normal in structure and also keep people on keeping it on people's mind, but maybe at a less frequent rate is. Arms, so arms. Um, you know they add new characters, they add new stages. It feels like it's slower for sure, but it feels like they're kind of doing it right. Like Lollipop was a good addition, and now Nintendo they freaking milk the hell out of that tease. Yeah, and they're about to do it again. I know they just put up they're a doing tweet about like some random so stage, new, and I don't know. yeah, they showed a new stage which likely has a new character. It seems to be some sort of serene temple. They are following the formula of Lola Pop to a T, but again, this milking, much like Splatoon with its rapid fire updates being one way to keep things on your mind as a new Switch owner or get your attention, this sort of slow burn is another way to do it. It's just keeping the name in your mind constantly. So, in the case of Arms, mm, because yeah, it is. So, because in the case of Arms. It's a more traditional rollout of DLC, That's but it's still – they're stretching it. They're making it work. It's funny because overall I do like Splatoon 2 a lot more than ARMS, just like as a game. Yeah. And yet every time – well, I don't know. I think it's because I still really want to like ARMS that – I want. yeah, I just want to get addicted to it. But So every time they have a new update, like when Lollipop came out, when um, – Beltman, the guy that we thought. Oh, oh, you mean um, uh, Biff? No, not Biff. Biff. No, um, not Biff. You're talking about um, wow, armor dude, the boss guy. You mean Headlock? No, no, the final guy yeah, you fight. In single player. Headlock? No, he is the final guy you fight. No, he's not. Is his name Headlock? Well, no. Yeah. The, 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 the title belt, the Metal Man, not Metal Man. <laughs> you thought I would break arms and no, no. I, I know who you're talking about. The the buff dude. That yeah. has belts for arms. Yeah. No, yeah, but Headlock is the final guy you fight. Well, but he's not that guy. No, I know. Well, the champion from arms. I'm looking up his name. Um, you know, if you Google arms champion, actually, you get arms. Never mind. <laughs> I thought you were going to get some weird stuff, but nope. Wow, I can't believe I'm thinking. I, yeah, this is, we are embarrassment. First arms DLC. Let's try that. And I remember. Someone's just shouting at their computer right now. Like, it's this guy. It's this guy. It's this guy. Max Brass. 
Hmm. Max Brass. Yeah, we'll point out that yeah, I played the game for maybe an hour or two every time this came out, but yeah. to no avail in Splatoon. I don't know. Well, Splatoon, it's it's different because like Splatoon, it's like here's a gun, here's a roller. It's like cool. I'll try it for two minutes sometime, or I'll just wait and try them all at once. But Arms, it's like here's a whole thing that in theory can shake up how you play the game entirely. Hasn't yet, but you know, like Lollipop's rapid fire drop, that could be a big deal. You have to go try it. No, it yeah, could really change the meta. I, I did. And um, it doesn't. But <laughs> I did jump back into Splatoon when they brought out the the bubble blower. Yeah, it, you need that sort, of, and those are about as frequent as arms. The like actual crazy weapon changes versus just here's a slightly different gun. Yeah. So it it I guess really arms and Splatoon are actually more similar in rollouts than we think. It's just Splatoon is a lot more in between filler. Yeah. But, in the case, but that's because their game had more meat in it to begin yeah, with. That's true. Like this one. Yeah, well, I mean, we've done this before. Yeah. In, in the case of arms, though, I do I do kind of wonder what they're teasing with this serene temple thing. Like I I don't know. I don't know if we ever talked about this on the show, but a few months ago, someone data mined the code of arms and found code names for 20 fighters. Obviously, there are not 20 fighters in the game, but some of the code names match up very well with the existing fighters. And then one of the code names was Sweet, and sure enough, Lollipop came onto the scene shortly thereafter. So it seems like this list is correct. And looking at the Serene Temple thing, there is a character with the code yeah, name of Plant. Thing. So I think it's going to be some sort of vine arm dude, which character design-wise actually sounds really cool and different from anything else in the game. So I'm kind of excited to see what they look like. There's also someone labeled Surprise, which I really hope and I think everyone assumes is Little Mac. I would assume it's not Little Mac. Well, I guess the surprise would be it's not what you think, but the surprise is internal code name, so it's a surpri- they're surprising us with it hmm. in theory. Well, who who would you want Surprise to be? Donkey Kong? Lanky Kong. Lanky, Lanky Kong. Kong. Someone that makes sense with their arms. L- Lanky Kong would actually be... I mean, Little Mac... Lanky Kong would be amazing now that I think about it. Yeah, because, I mean... I mean, Little Mac could be cool. I mean, I guess if they give him the mask, I wonder what his arms would turn into, but... I don't know. I feel like they would, they would, they would pick someone way more out there if it were Nintendo. Like, Stretch just, Armstrong. Just seeing how they do, like... How they pick the characters for Smash Bros. They just pick... People sometimes you wouldn't even expect would be a fighter. Maybe I'll just throw someone from someone in from Xenoblade. I mean, Breath of the Wild's apparently I now mean, getting Xenoblade I mean, characters. For all I know, they'll, they'll <laughs> somehow make a character out of their um, their stretchomatic or that that thing, their toy. That would actually be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The grabber. Yeah, the grabber. Yeah, yeah that'd be cool. Kind, kind of how they turn Robin to a character like yeah. with Mario Kart. They're just going to pick like cool. a peripheral. They're just going to make a character. Out or of the it. octopus from the Game and Watch games. Maybe has the already long arms and it'd just be flat. I I just think they would pick someone like not Lil Mac. Yeah, I, yeah, he's he is kind of an obvious. I mean, choice. it's kind of to, it's kind of to their point that they didn't want to put any Mario references or blah 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 in Splatoon, like right. because right. they wanted to live as its own identity. So I would assume they want to arms to be the either same. pick something super obscure that it could still be arms could you know just arms could keep it right right interesting separation. that makes sense that that's a more enticing proposition than Lil Mac. I mean Lil Mac, I mean. Smash Bros. kind of brought him back, kind of how yeah. Kid Icarus was brought back by Smash Brothers, but... Yeah, that's true. And then both of them never got another game after the one <laughs> revival. Uh, the poor B-tier of Nintendo. Well, I mean, Kid Icarus got that one game after... It's, I know, but I'm yeah. saying, like, Lil Mac only got one game, Kid Icarus only got oh, one Oh, but that was game. before Smash Brothers, though. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. It that was. was on the Wii. That was the Wii, that's right. Forgot. So, I don't know. 
Make it so get time will tell. Maybe we'll get Kid Icarus or Pit. <laughs> maybe we'll get the maybe it'll literally just be a copy of Kid Icarus with Arm. <laughs> but I meant Pit. Um, I'm oh god, I'm doing the thing. It's like I play as Metroid when obviously I mean Sam. I would love it to be like a character made up of all the other Nintendo consoles, like. Like the body is like a like GameCube. Vector Man, like Genesis. Yeah, like Vector, like Vector Man, Man from but, Genesis, but made of consoles. Yeah, and his arms Pepsi are just, Man, yeah, and Pepsi and Man. his arms are just the cords like all coiled up. So his fists are it's that like would be... like one's like an N64 controller, and the other one could be some other big controller. And then he has some sort of projectile of sorts that's basically a wave bird because that's the first one that didn't have a cord. I don't know what they're not really projectiles in arms, but they'd make it work. Well, I mean, they could be his legs or his feet. He could yeah. be like Rayman. I don't know. But. I hope someone at Nintendo is taking notes because these are all gems, and if they don't act on them, they're making so many mistakes—not just a mistake, just all the mistakes. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, that would be called Nintendo. Nintendo, yeah, that could work. But I don't know. I guess the point of all the DLC discussion, uh, just to sort of bring it back to the financials a little, was <laughs> um, wait for it to be somewhat completed before you buy the game. There's that. But there's also <laughs> there's also the broader thing of um, so everything we're saying about oh DLC is great it gets people to care about the Switch or buy more games. What about like what's gonna work long term? Like will DLC actually work? Does this strategy work? Because right now we're like oh yeah it's on the tip of our tongue, but does it actually make a difference? And in some cases with Splatoon for example, on the original like the original Splatoon on Wii U, I think the games as service thing worked like that sold really well for a very long period of time because they updated it for like two straight years. But we don't really have a conclusive data about Switch-specific games in terms of like if there's a direct correlation between this DLC guarantees a game will do well. So everything we just talked about and everything Kimishima said might be moot. It's hard to tell. Because like on the one hand, you have a game like Zelda, and its first DLC came out at the end of June, right? And then the game went on to sell another 750,000 copies the next quarter. But then on the flip side, you have something like ARMS, which only moved 170,000 units in the July-September period, which is a drop of 85% over the 1.18 million it sold in June. And that had DLC eventually. So, like, it, it's weird because in the case of ARMS, they didn't really launch any actual DLC till the tail end. So it's hard to say, was there just that lull in the middle where people playing Splatoon, which, which they were, is ARMS like a flash in the pan? Meanwhile, Zelda, like, is it just song on its own regards to DLC? Did the DLC help boost its attention? Like, it's, it's hard to say. Well, I think it's perhaps the more encouraging thing, albeit an indirect sign, is the amount of time people are spending playing their Switch. Because what Nintendo has found, and they put this chart in their financial briefing, is that uh, there is a very steady growth of time spent using the system from launch till now. Like, it's it's ramping up at a very steady rate as more games come out and people have more things to buy. So presumably, if you're a late bloomer on Switch, you're very likely to go look at older releases because you want to buy more things, much like the people that bought Switch early on are ramping up very consistently. I think Nintendo's assuming late folk will do the same ramp up, just in reverse, kind of. And if you leverage something like the system's built-in news feature to promote all this DLC and show all the cool things happening in ARMS and Splatoon, you're kind of pushing it front and center right in front of them over and over and over, and in theory, that would do the DLC thing that Nintendo's trying to do here. That would be the trick. That would be the thing. And specifically, the news function was brought up by Reggie in multiple interviews. He's been doing interviews a lot around the Mario Odyssey launch. And to both Engadget and Forbes, Reggie's just like, we have this news feature. It's great for game discovery. Like, it's our key game discovery tool. So, 
they have Nintendo has it all laid out. It's just a matter of whether it will work, which time will tell. And of course, the other component of this is the more real long term strategy, which is you need new games to complement the old. They can't just sit on DLC and hope that does it. I'm saying was uh, the most obvious thing I've ever said on the podcast. New games are important, but I'm really using it as a segue to talk about some of the Switch's newer stuff. Because, yeah, you, you can't live off Evergreens alone. I mean, it's why 3DS still has new releases, even though it has such a massive backlog. And in the case of Switch, the biggest new release is, of course, Mario Odyssey. A game that's sharing like records left and right. A game that in the first three days sold two million copies worldwide. Um, just for some perspective on what those two million copies in three days means, Mario 3D World on the Wii U sold a total in its entire life of 5.7 million copies. And in three days, Odyssey's already at 2 million. So Odyssey did a third of Mario 3D World sales in a single weekend. Oh, so you're saying in nine days they'll be well past 5 well, million? Well, I, I mean, it doesn't work quite like that, obviously. <laughs> but I'm just saying like it's off to a very strong start. And then if you want a slightly bigger – or slightly uh, – yeah, kind of a bigger comparison. There's Mario Sunshine. 6.3 million copies sold. 6.31 million. Yeah, million copies sold. And uh, Odyssey, again, did just shy of that in a single weekend. So it has the momentum going early on. So what about the galaxies? Well, funny you should ask. I did. I happened to have those right here, and I wasn't going to bring them up. I, I, was, I literally wrote, other stats well, should other stats because should you compare, ask. Well, well because yeah. You, com- yeah, yeah. Cause you compared it to the lesser two Mario. consoles that didn't sell as well. Right, that's fair. So, I'm so Galaxy, like, oh, what about the Wii? So Galaxy 1 sold 12 million copies. Galaxy 2 sold 7 million copies. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you can see where the drop-off in Wii purchasing started between Galaxy 1 and 2. Uh, well, it's not biggies, like less people suddenly had Wii. No, but less people were buying games for them because they were yeah, flashing yeah, yeah. the pamphlet. They were a fad for those people. They bought it for Wii Sports. They got Mario game. They got maybe Zelda or Mario Kart, and then they never touched it again. Is a common conception about it. I don't know if it's a misconception, but it's a thought. Now, the, the best-selling Marios, though... Well, I guess Galaxy was the best song at twelve million, but three D Land on the three DS actually sold eleven million ish, as did Mario sixty four on the N sixty four, of course. So Odyssey is off to a strong start. It's likely gonna pass the lessers of Sunshine and three D World pretty quick. Galaxy's the high mark here. Uh Galaxy two probably I could see it catching up to sixty four, maybe yeah, eleven million, but we'll see. We'll see. Here in the US, it's already the fastest selling Mario game of all time. And the fastest selling Switch game of all time. Obviously, that momentum won't continue at that exact rate, but it's already doing really well. They sold 1.1 million copies in the U.S. alone in five days. In Europe, it's also the fastest selling Mario game of all time. And if you look on Amazon for best selling games of 2017, for some reason, the first three slots are um, PSN cards, like access cards or code or uh, credit cards. Huh. So, they're, they're, so they're not games. games. I guess they're <laughs> they all represent, games. Yeah, yeah, they represent all the So games. those are technically the top three sellers of 2017, but if you get to an actual game, the first one is Mario Odyssey at number four for all of 2017. And it's been out for like two weeks. So the, the thing's moving. It's moving quick. And it's in kind of a unique spot in that up to this point, each region seemed to have a Switch game of choice, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Nintendo showed this in the presentation where Breath of the Wild is the top-performing Switch game in the West. Splatoon 2 is the top-performing Switch game in Japan. And then there's also, on a global scale, kind of this overarching, like, Mario Kart 8 wasn't the number one seller in any one region, but when you add them all together, it's the best seller of Switch, uh, one of the top performers of Switch in the world. And my suspicion is, based on these early Mario Odyssey numbers, 
it could take that title away from Mario Kart. I mean, that's a big ask, because Mario Kart is the biggest seller for Nintendo pretty much ever. But you have the buzz going with Mario Odyssey, there's the holiday season kind of being the wind in its sail, or the wind in the Odyssey's sail, I guess. Um, so... It could potentially do it, and it would be interesting if it did. But then, of course, the question becomes what happens after the holidays. Sure, like, there's still going to be Mario Odyssey sold, and there's going to be some Xenoblade 2 sold, especially because Xenoblade 2, as we learned via the Direct on Tuesday, um, is going to get a year's worth of DLC for 30 bucks. So that will, in the same way Arms of Splatoon gets a little boost from all the DLC, Xenoblade 2 will keep getting bubbled up. Honestly, all that. if Xenoblade had just shown what they had on that Direct during Nintendo's main direct you would have been more yeah because that direct actually got me interested in the game to the point where now I'm considering getting it not at launch but I'm actually interested in playing it because I just like the whole mechanics and the fighting system I did think yeah it, it, it just it seemed interesting more interesting how they, they I feel like Nintendo's not sure how to market this thing to be honest it, it felt like they did a better job marketing it this time I mean they touched on the story they touched on what the characters do pretty yeah. much everything that they did during the Nintendo Direct, just not as drawn out and... Which is weird, because this was the independent Direct for just the game, where yeah. you would think it would be drawn out. Yeah, I, I appreciated it how... Felt, yeah, it just felt nicely condensed. Yeah, I, I appreciated how, like, uh, quick it felt. Not quick, like, it was too fast, was but just, like, everything was snappy, yeah. snappy. There and, and they were only, like, on the on Xenoblade 2 on during the actual Direct for, like, maybe five minutes or something. Like, way less time, but it felt so much longer because it felt like they weren't really saying much. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I am this ancient dragon. Yeah, and I mean, as much as I enjoyed that... Which is fine. As much as I enjoyed the voice of that character, (laughs) like, yeah, it was not as useful as the direct they did on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I so that that game will continue to sell in 2018. Mario continues to sell in 2018. I actually find it interesting that they're doing $30 of DLC. Like, it seems like it's a lot of deals. Like, a lot of actual it's quality content. Game. Yeah, it's half the game, basically. And they're per- and they're doing it over the course of a year, if not longer. I think they just said a year, right? Yeah, but it's, they're pretty much doing a Zelda. Like, the first few things are pretty negligible. Yeah. And then the last one is like, oh, a full adventure or whatever. Well, yeah, because they need time to develop it. Because that's one thing I gotta give Nintendo credit for. When they first started doing DLC way back when, Reggie and I think even Iwata went on record where it's like, we're not going to do that thing where we make all the content and we cut some of it out then we charge you later for it. We're going to literally, when the game is done, start developing the thing we're going to sell later. Like, we are making a full game that can stand on its own and then we will develop a sort of like half-sequel, kind of, that then inserts itself to the end of the game should you pay the money. Which is what a lot of developers should do but don't. You know, like, we've talked... Everyone knows about, like, oh, the locked-on disc until you pay or that sort of thing. So it's it's nice. I'd rather Nintendo take a year to develop something and actually, like, make something new and still give us a full product than have something two months later, but they just cut it out from the main game. Hmm. Now, granted, they don't always do this, because, like, Fire Emblem has DLC the week of release, which is strange. But, But more often than not, for, like, their core... Like, their really core stuff that's not, like, developed by intelligence systems or whatever it seems like they try to do that so that, that's that's appreciated for sure but but beyond the dlc of and xenoblades and mario odyssey nintendo needs to keep the kind of steady drumbeat of games going in 2018 not just the fiscal year but beyond it especially if that 25 to 30 million number is true of how many switches they want to sell and i'm not the only one saying this like it's not rocket science but multiple investors brought up and asked during the Q&A of Nintendo's briefing what is the plan like how 
how are they going to do it? Because this year, this is something that I best point out, we've talked about on the show before, this year the games that they released were chosen very specifically. They had very specific purposes and goals. Like, you had games like 1-2-Switch were showing why the Joy-Cons are worthwhile and why you should care about Joy-Con. You had Zelda showing you that you could play real quote-unquote games out in the world. And they had all the local multiplayer competitive games that were highlighting that anyone, anywhere can play Switch with anyone else anywhere. And Kimishima responded to the question of like, okay, so what's the plan for 2018 and beyond? What's your, like, what things are you going to hit? What are the game's purposes? And he responded with somewhat cryptic comments that are pretty interesting. He highlighted that there are new demographics Nintendo wants to target. He emphasized the company has both long-term and medium-term plans. And he uh, promised, according to a Wall Street Journal reporter, that there will be, quote, more ways to have fun with Switch announced next year. So there's kind of a lot to unpack there, I think. So maybe more multimedia stuff like they there's, did with Hulu? Like Hulu showing up out of nowhere yesterday. Yeah, that was... Or on Thursday, because this goes up on Sunday. But yeah. And for a second, I'm like, well, that's cool, but I'm like, wait... I don't watch well, anything on Hulu. Yeah, me neither. It has live TV. That's actually really slick. But no, what what I think is the, the crucial part of this tease, in my opinion, is he's essentially saying new types of games. More ways to have fun is not how you describe we're releasing new games. You just say we're releasing... You know, if it's like, oh, we're making a Donkey Kong Country, is that a more way to have fun? Or is that just we're making a <laughs> new game? You know what I mean? Like, that wording sounds like it's something bigger than just another game. Peripherals! That It's either peripherals or something. Like, it, to me... With the exception of 1-2-Switch, Nintendo's releases have all been what you would consider traditional games, right? Maybe a Mario Party that... Now, like, see, that still sounds too know. traditional. Like, many of the games that are out now... Well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, like, Mario Party was a very heavy gimmick that uses the... I, I think you're... I don't know if you're not thinking big enough. Like, I think, to me... Find an exercise bike peripheral. Well, I, okay, now you're thinking too big. Like, physically too big. Who would be able to fit that in there? <laughs> I don't know. Not their problem. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because it's kind of like, hey, the Switch is portable, except you want to use this bike, in which case you have to lug the bike onto the bus. You attach the... Around. Yeah, you attach the... You, you get it in um in handheld mode. You put it on the... On the handle, bike. On the, on the bike. And then well, you bike around. Well, it has a little... Thing. Well, no, you're, you're back in place. So you're back in a, a virtual. Bike, you're you're biking a... in a virtual park. Oh, but the screen's only six inches. That's not very. Oh no, it's like a VR thing. So you put um... a little helmet on, and then you think you're biking Why outside. Why do you even need the switch at that point? Just have the VR be self-contained in the helmet, and has the bike be. The well, power I need something source. to power it. The bike. You're pedaling. You're pedaling powers it. No, it. Uh, if you're already buying the bike, why not just have the chipset in the bike? Oh, so you gotta put your switch in a in a helmet, and then put the helmet on your head, and then bike with the helmet. And man, well, I thought playing on Joy Cons was annoying sometimes. Well, like, I mean, how else <laughs> would it work? I don't know. I don't know. It's not. It's an interesting idea. Now you're. I think you're honestly thinking too big. But the <laughs> the 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 thing I was thinking is like, it could just mean we're going casual. I think it means they're going casual though, because right now most of the games on Switch are pretty traditional games. I mean, Arms has motion controls. Mario Odyssey has motion controls. But like so they're standard casual? video games. Like I think we're gonna see stuff more along the lines of like one two switch or something that appeals to the old the good old blue ocean or something like so that. So not Mario Party? It I think that could be there too, but I don't think that's what it means with more ways to have fun. Unless Mario Party, like you said, has some sort of gimmick. Like I don't exactly know what it is, but I think it's gonna be more like in the direction of one two switch than in the direction of like Fire Emblem Warriors. Or more in the direction of one two switch than in the direction of arms. I don't exactly know what that. That's not to say I don't think there's going to be traditional games. 
I mean, obviously we have everything from Metroid Prime 4 to Pokemon to Kirby to Yoshi. Those are already coming down the pipe, and there's more that I'm sure is going to be announced. I mean, there's that rumor flowing around right now that uh, Grezzo, the team behind Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on 3DS, they're supposedly working on some sort of Zelda remake, according to a recent job listing where they said they're hiring for Legend 2. And when they first started hiring for Ocarina of Majora, they were hiring for Legend. So it, it seems like they're pointing at that, but... I think what Kimishima is talking about is potentially beyond all that. It's like I said, kind of a blue oceany thing. I think like part of what's leading me down this train of thought, I think, is um, the other part of Kimishima's comment because he talked about new demographics coming to Switch, which Nintendo itself admits the Switch currently skews towards males in their twenties and early thirties. So you know, literally us, literally you and me, the stereotypical da- gamer demographic. And Nintendo's now tracking purchase intent among other age groups and whatnot, and they already know that 10 to 19 is kind of the next group age range that's uh, interested in buying the system, and they're seeing growing interest from a broader demographic that includes children, families, women, and high schoolers, which I guess is also the 10 to 19 age range. So for those keeping score at home, you may recall that everything I just said were core components of the broader demographic that went into the DS and Wii targeting. Nintendo went after this type of families, children, women, not the typical 20 to 30 year old gamer crowd with Wii and DS. And those systems thrived on the more casual oriented stuff, be it party games, like maybe you're right about Mario Party, be it the crazy exercise bike, be it whatever it may be, like that sort of more out of the box stuff is I think what they're getting at. And I may be reading a little too much into Kimishima's con. Obviously, it was more ways to have fun. But it all slots together so nicely with Nintendo's previous stated strategy of growing the footprint of Switch users. A phrase I think it was Reggie kept repeating um, pre-Switch launch, like in January, February, March. He kept saying, like, oh, yeah, we're going to start with the core Nintendo fans and the core gamers. And we're going to slowly expand outwards, bring in, like, the sports gamers, bring in, like, the casual players. Like, it'll keep – it'll be, like – going from one little ring of a tree out to the broader and broader rings, sort of. And the next logical step, given where we're at with the Switch right now, is to start roping in the casual, to start roping in the Wii and DS demographic. So what shape that takes is the big question. It's literally what you said. Like, I could see it being something like Animal Crossing that totally caters to the female, the family, the high schooler, while still being a core town franchise that also caters to the big, the main fans. But so could something totally out of left field. So could like a new, like the way that Nintendogs came out of nowhere or Brain Age came out of nowhere or Wii Fit came out of nowhere. In hmm. in theory, you can have something of that caliber of what happened with Switch. Think they'll try again with Wii Fit or do you think that thing's dead? I think that thing's dead. I mean, it bombed on, on Wii U. And the Wii brand is kind of dead. Like if they, even if they bring back a sports game, it's not, I doubt it's going to be called Wii Sports. It'd be like Switch Sports or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, like the Wii brand is, it's done. But it, it, it makes you wonder to like how – because the Switch on like Wii and DS kind of is limited. How innovative can they actually get on a system where motion control has been entirely optional up to this point? Like ARMS leans on it but doesn't require it. Mario Odyssey encourages, encourages you to use it, but you can do it without it just as easily, minus a few special moves. So like the one game that strictly used motion control on Switch was 1-2-Switch, right? That's one of the least successful first-party sellers. It sold over a million, but not by much. It's definitely one of the weaker offerings Nintendo put out. So whatever new scheme they're cooking up, I feel like the lesson thus far is it needs to play nice with a real controller. Especially in light of Nintendo's own statistics. Remember a while ago 
when you're making a comment about like Doc versus not Doc as a splat fest. Well, I told you we'd get to this, especially in light of Nintendo's own statistics that um, 30% of Switch owners almost exclusively use their Switch in handheld mode. Motion control is not ideal in handheld mode. You can't always pop out the kickstand, freewheel the Joy-Cons, and go about your day. Like, if you're on a bus, good luck doing that. If you're on a subway train, good luck doing that. So if a and third specifically of Switch... mean handheld, not tabletop. Like, it can distinguish... handheld. Uh, well, they... Yeah, they can distinguish. They had a whole chart where it's like... the It's like a little horizontal bar that's filled in different percentages for different types of modes. And yes, handheld... A third of Switch owners almost entirely, exclusively use handheld. So... I don't know if they can even do a motion control gimmick, like they or something super gimmicky. Because what about that third of users? It's it's I don't know. It's 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 interesting. We'll see how it translates or if it translates. I mean, maybe yeah. You I know, mean, like what's we'll the idea? Like entirely, casual gaming translates. Yeah, I mean, it's but, entirely possible that a few people bought it without even having like access to a TV. They can use. Yeah, I mean, actually, I have a friend who actually, for a while didn't have it hooked to a TV. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. imagine like a lot of like university students and stuff like that just have it. Because they don't have a TV. You know what I could actually see happening now that I think about it? I could see the pendulum sort of swinging the other way from motion control and back towards touchscreen control. That is a new way to play on Switch. No one uses that touchscreen for anything but menus. But as we know from games... What's he use it for? To play a music rhythm game? Oh. What music rhythm game? Voice. Oh, oh, but they're adding adding, uh, Joy-Con controls for the physical release of that one. So that's limited time. But yeah... That's that's kind of what I was getting at. Is like something like that, or something like Little Inferno, or something like World of Goo. They do have touch support, but they also work with Joy-Con mimicking a Wii remote. So there is an option if you need it to have a pointer. Perhaps the new ways to play is a game that focuses on touch, but then has the fallback of pointer. Because you can easily do touch with a fallback of pointer. It's a lot harder to do motion with a fallback of not, depending on what you're trying to do with the motion. Like arms, we even. You know, have that whole back and forth where it came out, like, which is really the better control scheme. We, I think we both settled on buttons, but if you're doing something like Wii Golf or Switch Golf, how, how does that work if it's all about motion? It just feels mm. not... It, it would almost feel too easy with buttons because it's all about your angle yeah. with your hand. So, but well, touch, it, would be, it would be easier because buttons are of course. definitely always better. Here. Yeah, but with, with touch, going from touch to TV is a lot easier of a transition in terms of like if Nintendo wanted to do a crazy thing with touch they could smoothly work, make it work on TV or maybe they just put a thing that says handheld mode, handheld mode only or something because again you can force someone to play in handheld mode you can't force someone to have a TV if they don't so the dock might be worthless but handheld mode exists for everyone it's built into the system so my thinking is we're going to see some touch related stuff That that's my idea kind of an aside though I find that handheld mode thing really interesting. The 30% just only use handheld. Like, they never use the dock. They never use tabletop. They're just playing it like a giant PSP. Which, I didn't expect it to be 30%. 10%? Sure. 30%? Like, that. that that's kind of crazy. Like, how do you... I feel like I... I kind of pick and choose based on game, but how do you tend to play your Switch? It's almost always on the TV. It's almost always on the TV, unless I can't... Do it on the TV for some reason. Interesting. Because, yeah, for me, it's like, it really depends on the game, which I didn't expect would be the case. But, like, Mario Odyssey, I like on the TV. I find myself almost exclusively playing it on TV. I think for the big screen, it's just more immersive. Um, It's, like, just a rich, I guess, like, a richer experience. I don't know how to word But, and the same, and the same actually goes for Splatoon because of the motion controls and arms because, um, I don't know, it just feels better. But, oddly, I prefer Mario and Rabbids in handheld mode. I prefer a lot of the smaller indie releases in handheld mode. 
Like, it's almost like the scale of the really? game affects how I play it. Yeah, because maybe it's because I also play in handheld mode in a different room than when I play on the TV. So it's kind of like change of scenery or something. Or it's like a different Why? couch. Or, I don't know. I just really liked Mario and Rabbids in handheld mode. It just felt more right to me than having to draw. I don't. I have no rhyme or reason. Okay. But yeah, but I found that certain games I prefer in certain playstyles. Yeah, I mean, I'll play them in handheld mode or whatever if I have to. Or I don't know. I mean, no. I would say it's it's always TV. If I feel like using it elsewhere, I mean, I'll do it. But it's it's usually by circumstance. Like if someone's using the TV or it's not available, that's typically the only time I'll do it in handheld. Interesting. Or if I take it somewhere, obviously, but it's almost always in TV, no matter what the game is. Yeah, the more I think about it, it's more the scale of the game that determines how I, what I play it on. Hmm. That's weird. And I take back what I said about arms. I now realize I play arms about fifty-fifty. Yeah, I feel you know they're always if it's on if it's available or if it's the yeah if it's available. I feel it's always better on TV. Yeah, I mean it's certainly bigger. Yeah, but. Yeah. You also have a pro controller, which you I'm rely also, on a lot. I don't have a pro controller, so it's literally do I play with the Joy Cons on the side of the system or do I play them closer together? In yeah, the, so the, it's the, more the, of a. The, the pro controller the is is so comfy that I, that's like all I really want to play with. I suspect if I had a pro controller, I'd probably do more on the TV. But for me, it's like I have tiny hands. Something I, I share. Something I have in common with our president. Right? I have very small hands, and uh, as such, the grip is actually very comfortable for me. I know a lot of people find the grip like cramp inducing, but I I've had never had an issue with the grip. I love the grip. It's perfect. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if, if I hadn't touched a pro controller, I'd probably feel the same way about the grip. But see, I've used your pro controller, but... and I'm still okay with the grip when I go home. From, well, like, well, from well yeah, I mean, I mean, if you didn't already have it, I mean, that's fine. It's like, it's that kind of thing where if you're kind of neutral about them, like, oh, yeah. I don't have to buy the 80, but I knew I was going to have to buy a pro controller eventually for Smash Brothers right. or more intense games that have to, like, smash the stick, that have to take the abuse. Right, right. I feel like the Joy-Cons, they just don't feel like they can take that amount of abuse with that tiny little joystick. That's true, that's true. So, since I already have it, it's like, well, I'm just going to use it. It's, like, so much better. Right, right. I mean, just doing a lot of the maneuvers with Mario and Odyssey just feel more precise with the Pro Controller. Or I feel like I have more control with it. I don't know the difference because I don't have one. So. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that, that's something to be said. I mean, the joystick on the Pro Controller from using yours is a lot more refined, shall we say. Right. But, but, yeah, switch play preferences aside, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the – Switch's install base like grows in 2018 and beyond in terms of who actually buys the thing because even if Nintendo only dips a toe in this casual stuff we were talking about and even if they you know mostly continue down the path of traditional games as we've been seeing and you know Yoshi, Kirby, Metroid, Pokemon they can still boost Switch sales a lot by targeting people in other ways which is something that like I didn't really think about but in light of the 30% of people playing handheld mode stat Kimishima emphasized in the Q&A that perhaps Switch can become more of a personal device than they originally intended. He, he said he wouldn't go as far as saying one system per person, but the idea of having multiple Switches in your household is one that Nintendo's apparently actively exploring. And it's honestly already happening. People are already buying multiple Switches. Like, Nintendo's expecting the game attach rate per system to go down. Not up down over the course of the uh, rest of the fiscal year. So right now, the physical game attack rate is 4.5 games per system. But Nintendo's anticipating that come March, or April, I guess, uh, end of March, it's going to drop to 3.6 games per system. And that's funny because if you look at the Switch as a home console, it actually started off with a higher attack rate than what PS4 had at this point in its life, implying a lot of people buying Switch games. You know, we hear all the stories of all the indie games selling really well, everything's selling really well, everything's doing great, people are buying Switch games. 
But in terms of the physical ones, it seems like people are treating the Switch more like a portable where they'll, you know, one or two of them will have Switches or three of them will have Switches and then they just trade around the cartridges between them when they need them. And as such, it's dropping. So for people that are digital only, it's probably really high. For people that are physical, it's going down. It's kind of a weird situation. But it's interesting that Nintendo actually is seeing so many people buy multiple Switches that they're not considering it an actual angle they can take with the console. I mean, would you and Elvis share yours right now? Would you ever want it to be truly yours and make him buy one, or does he want his own for any reason? I guess because you guys are literally room apart, it doesn't really affect. It's only out of necessity. I mean, I don't care if he's using mine, and I don't think he cares that he's using right, right, specifically his. It's only it would only be if like if a game comes out that we both have to play at the same time for whatever reason. On separate systems, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think would be an issue right now unless like one of us like move somewhere else right well then you're not in the same household so it's a different story well that's why that's the only reason yeah yeah i I just find it so interesting i mean i guess unless like smash brothers i guess i don't know no because they'll probably play on the same system no i know but like he might want to like if i take it somewhere he would still want to play or blah blah blah. right right i don't know i it doesn't really seem to be a reason for him to buy another one i kind of wondering what the reason is for these other people that are buying it i mean i could see I can, understand, I can understand getting multiple docks but not well multiple yeah multiple docks makes more sense but yeah apparently people are buying multiple switches like i did see so i looked through twitter um these attach rate stats come from uh analysts in japan uh i forgot his, his first name but his last name toto i believe like dr something toto and I was looking through replies to him, and it's interesting how many people are like, oh, yeah, my wife has her own. Or like, yeah, we bought two because, like, one person wants to play Splatoon, but someone else wants to play whatever, Zelda. So instead of having to fight over it, they just have two Switches. I mean, it's it's it's, it's kind of like households that have multiple DSs, I guess, is how it's being viewed by those people. But it's, it's a large enough group that Nintendo's actually considering it as a potential sales avenue now and a potential marketing strategy, which is something I don't think any of us expected. Cause, I mean, multiple DSs make sense because I mean they don't have multiple file systems like the like the Switch does. Or I guess like yeah, but I mean like four files. Other I mean games devices. I mean we share a lot of games, yeah. but for the most part, like when we are, yeah, it, it comes down to the multiplayer. Like when we want to play stuff together, you need two DSs for a lot right. of stuff. Yeah, but for the Switch, you don't. I mean, but yeah, that makes sense. Wait. I guess those families if they want to play different yeah, games it, at the same I, time. I, I, it just kind of blows my mind that like there's enough of a demand that Nintendo's acknowledging it like this. Well, the the other big opportunity for growth isn't so much about. Who I mean, they're not so expensive that I guess it's out of the question to be like, oh yeah, like it's not like buying two PS4 Pros or something. Little did we know. On top that, of the fact that you can, someone can play in handheld mode while someone's using the TV, which right. is that's true. Fine. Little did we know the Switch shortage is up to this point were not caused by Nintendo's lack of production is caused by people just buying seven of them each or something <laughs> but uh yeah the the other big growth opportunity for switch isn't about who they're selling to so much as where they may be selling it a big talking point multiple questions asked about in the q a china the country of china kimishima was very specifically asked uh about it and he pointed out there are actually multiple developers making games for switch from china beyond the ones we just know about we only know about tencent making uh arena valor their moba game on switch but it sounds like there's more and Nintendo's continuing to look into how to launch the system in China uh, they said that if they go into China such as with a smartphone game push they may actually need to do a partnership with another company 
which is kind of interesting. It reminds me of the IQ. Did you ever see the IQ back in the N64 days and up? I thought they're weird. Yeah, it's like things because they can't sell them over there. So they've changed that law. You can now sell directly in China under certain conditions. But yeah, the IQ was this bizarro thing where it looked kind of like a N64 controller had a love child with a Dreamcast controller, for lack of a better description. And it had it was you could download games to it, which was crazy at the time. You go to a kiosk in a store, you plug in the IQ, kind of like you used to do at the Pokemon Snap camera roll thing at Blockbuster. And then you literally like buy Mario or buy Smash Bros or whatever, and then it downloads to the IQ. You go home, you plug the IQ into your TV. It's a self-contained controller and console, and you play Nintendo games. It's like a legal. It's like a. It looks like a crazy piracy thing, but it's one hundred percent real and legit and legal. And it's it just like Kimishima just saying we're going to team up with a company to bring our IP to China. Just remind me of that a lot. Um, but whatever it takes for Nintendo to get to China, something like China would certainly help meet that lofty 25 to 30 million uh, goal that the White Wall Street Journal was reporting on. You know, selling that many next fiscal year. I, frankly, while I think everything we discussed can help close in on that goal, I don't see how any single casual game or wave of casual games or any Pokemon release or Metroid release or really anything but expanding into a market as massive as China would get them to 30 million sold in a year. Again, the DS was the only system that ever did that, or came close to doing that, and it did it once, and only once. So the cards have to fall just right for any sort of weird perfect storm combination to get to that success without China. With China, it's a little easier, but, you know, if it happens, go switch, go. But I don't see how it's going to happen unless China's a real thing. And the fact that Nintendo's now actively talking about China, which is something they don't usually do, makes me think it might happen. And I'm kind of curious what these other Chinese games in the works are. But, yeah, whether or not, really whether or not they hit 25, 30 million in sales, um, sales are currently already strong enough that it's keeping third parties happy, which in and of itself is guaranteed for longer-term success of Switch, so it's a win-win. And multiple third parties had their own financial briefings these past couple weeks, and it was kind of funny to see them all scrambling to address the Switch, either to brag about, look, we, we knew it was coming, guys, we got it right, or to try and cover their asses for getting it wrong and failing miserably in the case of Capcom. So let's start with the positive. Um, I think the ones that got it right early on have the right to brag about it, and uh, Bandai Namco certainly did. They pointed out that Dragon Ball Xenoblade, or Xenoblade, wow. Xenoblade? Dragon, thank you. Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, which has only been out on Switch for a month in the U.S. and a little longer in Japan has already sold, on Switch, 400,000 copies worldwide. I do not think that game would do anywhere near that good, especially with the hype around Dragon Ball Fighter. After hearing all these millions, it just sounds That's very... a good number. For a third-party game that is a port of an old PS3 game, I would that's say... I would say just... Yeah, that's a licensed property that has a following in the U.S. but is not like known for being a top-selling franchise of games. I would say nearly half a million is pretty good. Hmm. So, I mean, and keep in mind, that's only in like a month, too. So, the, the Xeno, um, Xenoverse 2 has been out for a while and sold multiple millions of copies, but to do that much on Switch, to have that many people double dip is... And in the shadow of Dragon Ball Fighter, which is the much more hyped game, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, Bandai Namco's certainly happy enough about it that their president in, the, um, in their financial briefing was saying they're upping developer resources for Switch, and they specifically called out that they're going to have three, what he describes as big... Switch releases set for spring and summer. Hmm. So exclusive it's or just releases? Unclear. Unclear. But it seems like they're moving past the days of just a Namco Museum port, which is nice. 
Uh, the the thing the thing is they have previously confirmed they're making a new Tales game for Switch and they're making a new Taiko Drum Master for Switch. Those were already known. I suspect those are two of the big three. But the third one and Tales I think might be exclusive. I think it's an entirely new Tales. But uh, the third one I I don't know what that could be. I kind of hope it's Mario Kart Arcade GP. I would love for them to somehow get Arcade GP's tracks because there's like seven versions of Mario Kart Arcade GP. So if they could even get like a third of all that content onto Switch somehow, for all the people that can't play all seven versions, because not everyone has arcades, especially the ones that were only in Japan, they just obviously didn't get here. But if they could somehow get that onto Switch, either as its own game or as DLC for 8 Deluxe or something like that, that'd be cool. And I think that would count as big, as their president put it, but but who knows. The, the, the Bandai Namco situation is a similar story with other major publishers as well. I mean, Take-Two... They said they're happy with early NBA 2K sales and think there's strong demand that will continue through the holidays. They didn't give any hard numbers, though, so that could just be you know, trying to keep investors happy. But they did say that Rockstar Games, that division of the company, uh, may bring more to the Switch in the future if the install base keeps up because to them that makes it a, quote, exciting platform. So Take-Two, who rarely supports Nintendo, giving positive praise, that's a good thing. They're the... NBA 2K and uh, LA Noir. Mm. Yeah, I think I was confusing them with Riot. Oh yeah, no, Riot uh, League of Legends. Never mind. So they're the Bioshock people then? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, Take Two owns Two K. Yeah. yeah. So I did not confuse them then. <laughs> I, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that that's the that's what Take Two. I know they're a publisher with a very short name. That's true. They are. Uh, then you've also got Ubisoft, who has a slightly longer name, and they revealed that in the second quarter, just past second quarter. 19% of all their sales were Switch games, which, to be clear, is only 1% less than Xbox One. Switch, that's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Sales of Xbox games and Nintendo games at Ubisoft are neck and neck. Yeah. Now, obviously, a big part of that's Rabbids. Mario and Rabbids, um, it did well. I'll put it this way. 12% of Ubisoft's total revenue this fiscal year which for them I think also is from April on April on twelve percent was just Mario and Rabbids, so the game's doing pretty well. That sounds significant. It's it's significant for a single game that yeah. is on a system that typically doesn't have strong third party sales. So or a, from a company that typically doesn't have strong third party sales. So that's impressive. And they of course confirm that they have more games coming next year. That's all they would say. Then there's Marvelous. They're uh, the publisher of games like uh, Fate Extella and the upcoming No More Heroes: Travis Strikes Back or Travis Strikes Again. I mean. And they, too, say they have a bunch of games in development now, both old and new. So there's this kind of groundswell of, of publisher support. But my absolute favorite comment came from Koei Tecmo, who not only said they're extremely happy with sales of games like Fire Emblem Warriors and Attack on Titan 2, which is only in Japan right now, but uh, they went on to throw, as the kids say, throw some shade at other publishers. Their comment literally snarked at other publishers for not believing in the Switch. Here's, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Keep in mind, this is like from an official capacity of a company, so it's kind of funny to see them say it. We bet big on the Switch as a game changer, so we began making games before the Switch's launch. But many software companies show reluctance in releasing Switch games before they witness the current success. That's such a polite way of saying, you guys screwed up. You guys are idiots. <laughs> it's kind of funny to see a Usually publishers don't comment on the landscape like that, so I just thought it was amusing they did. Um, and to be fair, not every publisher falls under that bucket. Square Enix as we discussed before on the show, huge supporter of Switch. Um, and they, like many others, have tooted their own horn about being at, on the Switch, on board with Switch very early on. 
But um, unlike some of the others, they actually have a ton of games to back it up. They've released like six games on Switch. Yeah, already. I mean, we knew about Octopath Travelers in that January. Yeah, yeah, they preview. they were a very early believer in the Switch. And what's interesting and different about what their approach to Switch is from, say, Bandai Namco, is that they said in their own, I think it was the head of Square Enix was doing an interview or is in their financials or something. But he was saying that the Switch could actually be home to not just quote-unquote big games, which is what Bandai Namco is describing theirs as, but a resurgence of like the mid-range game. So instead of just having budget titles and AAA super expensive to make titles, you can have kind of these middle experiences and kind of bring back this idea of like, oh, you have a cool idea, but it's not, you know, you need a little more than bare bones budget to execute it. We'll do that. So like the EA indie game development? I would say like a step above that because EA, the, the EA originals program. Like Ian Sepsuna thing? Yeah. Well, that, see, that would, yeah, kind of like that. I'm thinking more like um, Octopath Traveler fa- probably falls uh, falls under that bucket. Uh, Lost Sphere falls into that category. Basically, just the thought of like having a game where you want it to have high production value, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a multi-million thing that takes seventeen years to make, like Final Fantasy fifteen or something. Like you can just have kind of a, it's a little more budgeted, but it's not like budget. You know what I mean? Like it's not spo- on Switch. Like comparing Punch Out to Mario Galaxy on the Wii. Sure, I think it's more like comparing. Oh, well, I was about to compare. I was about to compare Square Enix games. Well, let me put this way: Look what's on Switch right now. You got Spelunky, Spelunker Party on one end, and you got the new Dragon Quest coming to Switch down the line, like Dragon Quest Twelve or whatever they're up to. Those are both Square Enix. Spelunky, Spelunker Party is arguably a budget tie. Like, just look at the production value. Look at the core. You know how simp- it, it. They did not put a ton of money into that. The Dragon Quests are their bread and butter outside of Fantasy. They put a lot of money into that. So they're saying these two things coexist on Switch. In fact, here they are. They already do. But there's also room in the middle for stuff that perhaps has higher value, higher production value, higher effort put into it than something like Spelunker Party, but isn't going to take seven years and cost tens of millions of dollars like a Final Fantasy mm. or a Dragon Quest. That, like I said, I think Octopath Traveler fits that bill. Like it's definitely it has nice production value, but it's not like they're breaking the bank on that compared to. You know, get, having to get deals with Audi to cover the cost of the game, and then all of a sudden, all your bros and your RPG are driving around in R8. Like they don't have that level of crazy in it, but they also don't have it look like Splunker Party. Yeah. Bring on the 2D HD or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, so be it 2D HD or something like that. Like it just seems, it seems like to me the industry, for better or worse, outside of indie games, which can sometimes draw the line, but it's up to how much the indie developer has in terms of ask, uh, money to use. But it seems to me like the we're stuck in this thing where you either have the really budget stuff like the low end or you have the crazy blockbusters that cost a lot and take forever like you know if you look at other consoles like last of us or call of duty or all those are like super expensive i mean um visceral games just got shut down because their star wars game was too expensive and wasn't coming together quick enough in a way that would stay within budget unfortunate yeah but the fact that you have (laughs) you know no but my point is the fact that you have ea being like we need to make this massive game. The only way this is going to work is if we spend four years and $400 million, or that's way too much, obviously, but I'm just a pretty good point, or whatever it is. And then if it doesn't meet that, we're just going to shut down the whole production, and that's that. Like, it's like the stakes are so high. This kind of like B tier of games just sort of disappeared. So it's kind of cool, I think, to see Square Enix be like, hey, we think there's room for this. Because the nice thing about B tier or middle tier games is you can take more risk 
in the project like the project can be more risky because you're not investing as much into it so it's easier to make back your money if it ends up being niche and you know some companies do this really well like you see stuff like exceed or even marvelous to some extent or um atlas up to a point where these games were more limited budget they weren't like triple a they weren't you know the blockbusters of the industry but they have a following they're good they have interesting ideas they do stuff in interesting ways and it's huh like nicholas yeah Kind of like, well, they're more indie, but yeah, it all falls in the same category. Just this idea that you have these games that are doing stuff that's a little different and interesting and doesn't break the bank, but it's also not a shoestring budget. And the fact that Square Enix, of all people, is coming out and being like, the Switch is great for this. The Switch can bring back this kind of game is cool to me because that means a more diverse lineup. And as a player, that means just more interesting things to play. Because like, if I look back at like GameCube or N64 or Wii, like... The mid-range stuff, maybe just naming so I'll give you a better sense of what I'm getting at, but like mid-range stuff like uh, Elibits. Remember Elibits on game on uh, Wii? Yeah. From Konami or like... Did not even or Sphinx try the, that. I know. Or like Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy on GameCube, that, which actually is it. pretty high budget, but it was a good Zelda knockoff. Or like Gex 64 on... and uh, Or Gex on uh, PS1, which is like a par- is a platform, but it's a parody of all sorts of different movie genres. Damn. Like, all these things, like, I don't think if you go to EA today and say, hey, I want to make Gex 64, imagine this snide gecko who, like, pretended he was James Bond, but also pretended he was these other movie genres. I don't think EA would be like, we're going to give you the money. It's going to be like, well, no. Can you guarantee it's this level of crazy success, or we're going to give you no money at all? The one exception, of course, being indie games, which can kind of ebb and flow. And in the case of EA Originals, to your point before... They do occasionally give the money, but it's very picky. So if there's room for growth here for this sort of like mid-range game, I think that'd be awesome. Like I, I like those. Like even stuff like Beetle Adventure Racing on N64, which was is by EA actually, is a racing game. But someone's just like, hey, what if we made a racing game where all the cars are Volkswagen Bugs? Just oh. what? And it was because actually because it was N64. I literally pictured like no, cartoony no, 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 Beetle no, no, no. is Volkswagen. It's Volkswagen, and it was it's very arcadey. They had like boosts and stuff, and. I feel like if you went to EA today and said – I don't know why I'm picking on EA so much. But if you went to EA today and said, hey, can we make a game where you only race Volkswagen Bugs? That will be super arcadey and we want to make it like a quality game. They would not be receptive to that. They would just be like, well, how do we integrate that with Frostbite and how do we ensure that it has like $20 million in sales because we need to make it this – you know, and what's the story in this? What's the multiplayer angle? Like what's the – open world aspect it's like just make the game this is what mid-range games are perfect for it's just kind of it doesn't have to be this crazy elaborate thing or this super basic thing can be in between so we'll see hopefully square enix is onto something here i think i think you bring up nicholas actually good point that square enix is onto something here because nicholas is pumping out games like this all the time so time will tell but perhaps other publishers should take square enix idea to heart as well i'm mainly thinking of capcom and as i've name dropped seven times ea uh, Capcom's the weirder one here. They, a few weeks ago, told the Wall Street Journal, um, when asked about third-party support on Switch, they said, you know, like, where's yours? And their response was, it's not our procedure for third-party software developers uh, to not have games because there isn't enough time to make new games for a console within a year of its launch. I would like to point out to Capcom that these are the same people who had Resident Evil Revelations, a new game, on the 3DS within a year of its launch, 
and Day and Date with the 3DS launched. That was a huge game. It's a too. huge game. They had to develop it for years in advance, probably. It literally started a whole franchise for them. It did, and it's coming to Switch in two weeks. But not only that, but they also had the specially optimized version of Street Fighter Four on 3DS Day and Date. That was not just a also port. They had to rethink a lot of it. Game. Exactly. Really impressive that they got that to work so, so well as they did on the 3DS. So it's baffling to me. That Capcom's like, when they're like, why aren't you supporting Switch? And it's like, uh, no one supports things. It's like, what are you talking about? People support things. And then what gets even weirder is they themselves come out with their own financials shortly thereafter. And they're like, hey guys, look how well our Switch games did. They called Street Fighter 2, the Final Challengers, a smash hit. Wait, they had more than one? They had Street Fighter and they had Monster Hunter. They called Street Fighter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So outside of the US. Yeah. Street Fighter 2, Final Challengers, a smash hit. Their words, not mine. Smash it. And then the Switch port of Monster Hunter Double Cross, they say is the main reason that their sales jumped 23% last quarter. This is the company, by the way, that doesn't support Switch, thinks everything is a test for Switch, and is arguing that no one makes new games on a system's first year when they previously have done that for Nintendo before. And then they turn around and go, but look how well Switch is doing for us. So, like... Capcom, just own it. Just admit you misjudged the Switch. It's fine. Because to their credit, they've now come out since all this and have promised more content kind of Switch, specifically new content. And mm-hmm. they Especially sa- all the ports of those games that clearly did not yeah. take more than a year to make. Yeah, like Mega Man Legacy Collection 2, Disney Afternoon Collection. All We've ranted about this many times yeah. on the show. But yeah, like what? just own it, guys. Like The fact that you had to have your head of whatever come out in an interview in a Japanese newspaper after you sort of were like, oh, Switch is a non-starter. And it'd be like, oh, actually, we're making original content for Switch. It's coming soon. And one of the games is going to be a brand new Ace Attorney. Like, that's big news. That's cool. But when you treated the Switch owners kind of like guinea pigs up to that point, it's a little weird. Like, I don't know. It's just like they need to... I don't know what's going on over there. Like, it's great that they're having success on Switch, but why are they acting like they're not? It's really bizarre to me. It's like they just can't admit, okay, maybe we should have paid attention to switch sooner because i feel like they i feel like they feel like if they say that their investors go freak or something but i don't know this feels just so not genuine but but ace attorney is cool i mean are you you're the big ace attorney fan you must be excited for a kind switch well yeah i mean i would be disappointed if they put another one on 3ds yeah that'd be weird (laughs) yeah i'm just like let's move on let's get on to the next one so so i mean it's it's gonna lose the dual screens yeah. Does that uh, bother you at all? No. I mean, I played the original three. Oh, you played on iPhone. That's right. No. Even you, before that. But you have played on Yeah, iPhone. but that was the touchscreen, though. I've, I'm playing it on the TV. I'm still using the touchscreen also. I played... Way. I mean, I originally played them on on DS. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, on regular DS. And then I bought the original trilogy on the Wii. So I was just playing with motion controls. Well, mm-hmm. not even motion controls. Um, You just have to press the D-pad right. to get, so get what you need. So, I mean, it works perfectly fine. See, Ace Attorney actually feels like a game that could be one of the, at the forefront of, like, the touch first on top thing of that, I um, about casuals. I mean, on top of that, um, I mean, I was playing Aviary Attorney, I think, like, two years ago, and that's a Steam game that doesn't use any motion or mm, touchscreen because right. it's a Steam game. But it has the mouse. But it's literally Ace Attorney. And yeah. It has the mouse. Yeah, it has the mouse. Which is, like, sort of touch equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, they... But I get your point, yeah. There are plenty of point-and-click adventure games on the Switch, like, there's... Um, Tumbleweed, Thimbleweed Park, Thimbleweed Park, yeah. And then there's Bull Boy. Like, there you, you don't you don't need for those kind of games that don't require like quick reaction times. You, I mean, you can take as long as you need. You're true. just picking options. Very true. So, yeah. but it's cool that's coming. It's one of many games from Capcom. So they finally owned up to it. They just did it in the weirdest way. And again, 
they should just look to Square Enix because Square Enix somehow managed to have new, old, everything in between on Switch right off the bat. So, for I, it just bothered me because a company like Capcom has been such a strong support of Nintendo for so many generations that to see them just like back away so weirdly and then like come stumbling back is just kind of it's embarrassing yeah. for them. It's embarrassing for them. But if you really want to scra- scrape the barrel, like the bottom of the barrel of bad per- third party responses, um, there is EA, who I already kept name dropping as an example of a bad publisher, and I didn't mean to do that, but they keep doing these quote unquote tests with the Switch, and it's rather kind of annoying. I mean, first there's the test of FIFA 18. Here's the world's biggest sports game. It's playable on the go with Switch Ray features for the first time. It has a huge marketing push by Nintendo, and now that the game is out, guess what they're saying? The test isn't the game. The test is where the Switch's install base will be one year after launch of the system. So next March. Like what? So what was what was FIFA? Just like a, did they do it for funsies? Like why why does that? That was they kept pushing like FIFA's the deciding factor if we support we Switch. So much and money building our own out. engine. I know. And then FIFA came out and they're like, actually, we care not at all about how FIFA's doing. We just want to see where things arbitrarily are on March third, twenty eighteen. It's like, what are you talking about? They didn't say the date, but that's a year after launch. It's just like, what are you doing, EA? I mean, to their credit, they uh, are publishing through the Originals branch, um, Zoink Games Fay Fee on Switch, which is cool. Like, so they are sort of supporting Switch, but it's only because the company, the indie who they're supporting, wants to support Switch. They themselves are not supporting Switch, so. I don't know. It, it really the thing that bothers me is like, why did they keep saying FIFA sales were would be the deciding factor? It's like a weird, twisted marketing scheme to guilt Switch owners into buying FIFA or something. Like if they're saying buy FIFA, that will get you other EA games, which is what they were saying. That was the subtext of what they were saying. Let's be honest. And then the people buy FIFA, and then EA goes, actually, it had nothing to do with FIFA. We just are gonna sit back anyway. Which they're, you know, it's totally the right to do. Activision's doing the exact same thing. They released Skylanders and nothing else. But Activision did not then come out and say, hey, do you want Call of Duty? You should probably buy Skylanders. That's probably going to be how you get Call of Duty. EA kept coming out. It was like, well, we're, if you buy FIFA, like, we're testing with FIFA. So, you know. So, I, I don't know. It just seems like lame of EA. Yeah. It was a little manipulative. Even yeah. at least Capcom was in, in their incompetence of handling the Switch. At least they kept it self-contained to themselves. And were just like, well, we don't know what we're doing. But EA is like actively telling people one thing and then doing something else. It's dumb. But ignoring EA's stupidity, it is actually really nice to see the developer world mostly rally around Switch. Like we're getting a lot of big third parties back. But the, the fact that Bethesda has – like the fact that Doom just came out is nuts if you stop and think about it. The fact that Rocket League comes out on – Tuesday or probably by the time a lot of you listen to this is crazy and it's nice that all these big third parties are being complimented by some Wii U indie favorites that are now bringing over their content too. We've talked about a lot of them over time but in just the past few weeks Zoink Games is now pouring over Stick It to the Man Two Tribes announced that the special edition of Rive is coming to Switch in a couple weeks yeah, I think. And not announced but aren't they like also tweaking um, Zombie Vikings just like to see if it even works. Oh Zo- uh, Zoink? Yeah. yeah Zoink Games has been Besides, constantly posting pictures of zombie vikings and being like look what's on switch yeah. but then never uh, announced and uh, besides flipping death which they are working on yes or, they yeah. have flipping death coming and i feel like stick it to the man coming for coming to switch is almost supposed to be like the precursor to flipping death like they want people to kind of get a, the vibe of it I feel yeah like. i mean they i remember watching an interview where they point out that the main character from stick it to the man makes an appearance yeah. like, like it's part of the plot and so. they use the same art style and everything. yeah so i mean 
You, it's a pseudo sequel. You'll get more out of it, I guess, if you played the original. Yeah, game. yeah. So it makes sense to bring it to Switch. And then on top of that, like Octodad randomly came to Switch a couple of days ago, which is like that's cool. That was cool on Wii U. And then like Zen Studios, they're finally bringing a pinball title to Switch. We talked earlier about how Hulu randomly showed up on Switch unannounced. Korg, the uh, music make the music company, like they make uh, synthesizers and keyboards and stuff. They made a music-making game for 3DS. Now they're making one for Switch. So, like, it's kind of cool just to see this amalgamation of all these yeah, different... Yeah, Korg really liked the DS and 3DS. Yeah, it's it's such a weird matchup, but it, apparently it works really well. You can actually, like, make some decent oh, yeah. electronic there, there music were, with it. I remember in, when we were in, still in undergrad, mm-hmm. I was, um... There were, I was just, like, looking up Korg, like, who's actually using it, and there were a few DJs that actually had the DS, like, on, like, next to their turntable. Just That's like, cool. Like with their mix, and they weren't and... just doing chip tune; they were really using no. It, like they were like actually instrument. using That's it. That's cool. Yeah, just because of how quick and simple it was. It was itself. Plug in the auxiliary port. You're good. Yeah, like I, I'm actually really curious to see what the Wii, the not the Wii, sorry, the Switch version looks like. But it it's just with cool that like beefer cleaner version, I guess. Yeah, probably. And and everything we just beefier. I just rattled off. Beefer's like, not a word. Yeah, beefier. Uh, everything I just rattled off was just announced in the last two weeks, basically. So like in all. In all, we there are 300-plus games actively in development for Switch, according to Kimishima. And of those we know, it's just this really nice assortment of games. Like, you got the big names of, on the Wii, the best and brightest indies on the Wii U, and they're all here on one system on the Switch. And when you're trying to sell potentially upwards of 25 to 30 million Switches in a year, you want as many of those big-name games and developers as you can get. So it's really cool to see it all come together so nicely. Or, on the other hand, if you're, say, a Nintendo 3DS... You can just lean on what you already have. All them evergreens. So many evergreens. The Everest of evergreens. And that is exactly what Nintendo is doing with the 3DS. So that was Switch. Now we're on the 3DS. Uh, the 3DS side of Nintendo's financials, a little less exciting than Switch. Uh, but when you sell 1.91 million hardware units and another 7.97 million games, it's nothing to scoff at either. I mean, 3DS is currently sitting at nearly 69 million units sold. And Kimishima said that they expect to very soon hit the milestone of 70 million. And the plan to get to that milestone is pretty much the normal 3DS MO we've seen. You know, it's a mixing of new releases, a promotional push of evergreens, plus all sorts of hardware variants. You got the 3DSs next to the 2DS XLs, next to the 2DSs, next to the special edition ones like the Pokeball 2DS XL and the, in Japan, a Pikachu designed uh, 2DS XL. Uh, I think what probably best embodies this entire strategy of just old and new and special all crammed together in a blender is uh, the Zelda Ocarina of Time 3DS. Wait. The 2DS. Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D 2DS bundle, which that sums up the problem with it as well. Is that I, That's impossible to figure out. But here what you've got is an evergreen game on a very literally green colored uh, 2DS that's A, limited edition for Black Friday, and B, only 80 bucks. So it basically checks all the boxes of the 3DS holiday strategy, with the exception maybe offering a new game. But then again, if you have it sitting next to uh, Mario Party Top 100 or whatever on a shelf, there's your new game right there. Or or better yet, your kid opens it Christmas morning, they boot up the eShop, and they download the new Style Savvy that came out the same day. There you go. <laughs> it's perfect. The titles it all worked out. But what I find kind of interesting about them choosing Zelda specifically is it's a, it's part of a pattern. So Kimishima didn't directly mention this when discussing the 3DS. But Nintendo appears to be very quietly turning the 2DS into a Switch gateway drug of sorts. Kind of like how mobile was supposed to be the entry point for Nintendo's IP as a whole. 2DS is now doing that. Like, if you look at the bundles of the cheapest 2DSs, the most accessible 2DSs, 
You have a Zelda one for Black Friday. You have the new Super Mario Bros. 2 one that came out in August. You have the Mario Kart 7 one that came out before that. All three come with games that now have enhanced, more in-depth versions on Switch. Obviously, the parallel between Ocarina and Breath of the Wild is super clear. Obviously, you could say the same for Mario Kart 7 to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. But I found it interesting that they specifically picked New Super Mario Bros. 2. Because that also fits the bill. Because here's not just a Mario game. Granted, a 2D Mario game. But here's not just a Mario game. This is a Mario game where coin collection becomes a central element, right? And if you graduate to Mario Odyssey eventually, oh hey, coin collecting's still a central element. In a different way, but you use coins for your lives, you use coins for outfits, for items. Like, of all the Mario games on 3DS that they decide to continue pushing, it's the one that emphasizes the same thing as Mario Odyssey. I don't think that's a coincidence. Everything else lines up so nicely that it seems like with the 2DS being cheap enough, and as we discussed last episode, with it being uh, currently geared as like my first Nintendo system for 5 to 10 year olds, it seems like the perfect entry point to eventually lead to Switch ownership. It makes sense in the exact same way that Nintendo had their smartphone game plan set up, no pun intended, set up to um, get people to check out Mario on a smartphone or Fire Emblem or whatever and then graduate into Nintendo systems. You hook them with the simpler one, you upgrade them to the more complex. Mm. So I, th- I think Nintendo's now sort of trying to pivot it a bit. In the case of the phone setup, it's actually kind of interesting to see exactly what's working in what way. So like, to be clear, just to be clear, Nintendo is making money on mobile. There's no doubt about that. Like, when they, they combine their mobile and their IP licensing into one bucket, and that bucket has made $157 million this past six months. That's up 426% compared to last fiscal year's first six months, which was just, uh, I don't know, Mitomo and Van sneakers, I guess. That's pretty much all I was making my a year ago. But, but within that year-year growth, Fire Emblem Heroes is actually the one making the healthiest profit. It's matching what Nintendo wants it to do. It's actually generating more revenue or sales here in the West than it is in Japan, Fire Emblem. Which is kind of insane to think about because that's a very... Fire Emblem used to be a very Japan-centric franchise. But then you've got Mario Run, which has been downloaded 200 million times, which is insane. And yet Nintendo says it has not met what it considers acceptable profits. That's rebounding a bit now when you uh, when you take into consideration Remix 10 mode and the temporary price drop. Nintendo showed a chart in the financial briefing that shows that it looks like it's rebounding in usage like 30 to 40% up. But it mm. it's not working as Nintendo intended. Makes sense. Um, remember when we were talking about the, I guess that new mode the with the crazy music and the yeah, shuffle? Yeah, Remix 10. Yeah. Um, so I played that for just like a lot longer, like uh-huh. just for a few more days after. And yeah, the levels start to repeat. Like, of course they do. Like yeah. Pretty aggressively. Oh wait, like full on repeat? Yeah, full on repeat. Oh, I thought they, I thought they had random elements at least. No, it's like the same. Like after. So that thirty four percent up is gonna go right back down. So if you play it for maybe like more than ten rounds, yeah. no, no, maybe like a couple rounds like that, like you end up start seeing like the exact same segment. Oh, that's unfortunate. Like the exact same segment, almost like in the same order. It's almost like they have like maybe twenty different like groups of ten. They and really then, took and the like, remix really? idea to heart then. Yeah, yeah, so I was like, like, oh, this sucks. And then so it's the same samples, just yeah. So, so so it was fun. Mm-hmm. So, so it was literally a good demo, <laughs> right? Right. But I mean, that's all it needs to be in a way. Yeah. And, like if that's helping lead that thirty to forty percent uptick. I thought it was going to be just like randomly, like literally just randomly picks up. Yeah, it's that's more, what I thought too. That's how they pitched it. So it's more catered than anything. Interesting. Yeah. But so even 
even if but the thing is like assuming that hopefully helps boost sales even if it doesn't one thing that both Fire Emblem and Mario are doing successfully is actually driving people back towards real Fire Emblem and Mario games Reggie said so in multiple interviews these past few weeks and we already know the Halo Effect worked on Pokemon Go as well so it seems like Nintendo's now trying to take this idea of what worked on mobile 100% with every game which is a Halo Effect and then just migrate into their own ecosystem entirely with 2DS to Switch. So it'll be interesting to see a few years from now if they share data showing how the 2DS or even 3DS ownership up, you know, led to upgrades into Switch. Once the 2DS and 3DS are officially like dead, which will happen, will these people migrate to Switch or are they just going to live forever in Ocarina of Time and Mario Kart 7 world or are they going to go HD at some point with all the more elaborate features? There's one other actual lesson, actually. There's one other lesson that Nintendo appeared to have learned from mobile as well, specifically Pokemon Go, and that is that people love nostalgia. People love Pokemon nostalgia, and all you need is something they remember from the early yeah, days of the, the movie. Brands, it, was doing so well. it was doing so well. They had, they to, had to do get, two yeah. more screenings, and the money just yeah, whatever it is. If you leverage the Pokemon nostalgia, money just flows, and. To that point, in the past six months, Nintendo made $56 million off of its share of Pokemon Go profits. $56 million off a game that's a year old and as many people, and many people consider dead. It's not dead for making $56 million. It's, it's, again, somewhat the nostalgia, you know, the Gen 3, Gen 2. So perhaps it shouldn't come as a surprise to see that now Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon, in perhaps an attempt to gain some extra attention in this year of Switch Mayhem, those are now cranking up the nostalgia too in, in significant ways. First off, there's a new villain supergroup being added to Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon. Uh, you fight them after you beat the game's main uh, Team Skull Baddies, but they're called Team Rainbow Rocket, which quite frankly is not the best name and does not sound very menacing, but they are comprised of literally all the baddies from the other games. So it's headed up by Giovanni himself, who any seasoned Pokemon player knows is the guy from the first one. And then his team includes Team Aqua and Team uh, Magma's Archie and Maxi, Team Galactic's Cyrus, Team Plasma Getsis, Team Flares, I don't even know how to say his name, Lysandra. <laughs> all of them, all these heads of all these teams or key characters are now on a super team that you have to fight. And if that's not nostalgic enough for you, you can also catch every single legendary Pokemon that has ever existed in the franchise. In, Sun and Moon, in Ultra Sun and Moon. As they do. That's what they did with Ruby, Omega Ruby, and Ultra Sapphire. Yeah. But now, when you couple it with the, the baddie thing and couple it with what we now know as nostalgia as a driving point for Pokemon, it kind of has like a, almost a whole new like angle to it. Yeah, but I mean, this is also just their way of catching, I guess, this, it catch this, yeah, this form of Pokemon to, I guess, this current style because Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon was kind of like the refined version of X and Y. Yeah. It's like, let's get all the legendaries and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it's banking on the nostalgia and also totally. just giving everybody all their tools just so they can... Move forward. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, it's funny, it's almost working on me, the nostalgia thing. Like, I don't think just adding legendaries or Team Rainbow Rockets enough to get me to get Ultra Sign Moon, but when you couple it with all the other new stuff they're doing, which is actually quite a lot, like they have the intergalactic wormholes and the new Pokemon forms and new mini games and collectible. There's that other organization. There's that other organization. There's collectible totem stickers to find on on the islands, which is like a scavenger hunt sub game. Like it's a pretty elaborate package. Like this does not feel like the cheap cash in it felt like when they first announced it. It feels like an actual substantial sequel, which is kind of impressive. I mean, I don't. I still not sure if I'm gonna pull the trigger. I mean, you've pretty much given up on 3ds, right? Like you're not pulling the trigger on this, are you? Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, but wait, what if I told you? Hold on, 
there's one thing we haven't covered. What if I told you about the bow simulator you've always been dreaming of? It's essentially here. Do you know no, what I'm talking about? No, yeah, yeah. You could rent out Pokemon. Yes, but... the battle agency. You rent out Pokemon, and the more you play online, the more you play with other people, the more Pokemon are added to your rental list, I guess. Isn't that essentially your battle simulator, but with a little bit of unlocking to do? With some limitations. What are the limitations? I, I don't know. I mean, can you pick the exact moves? Oh, no. Okay, so never mind. Can I pick the nature? Because the whole point of my <coughs> battle simulator is that I have an idea for a chanta. I want to see if this if these if this combination of moves and this nature or whatever yeah. like, works for him with this specific item. And then I test it out. It's like, all right, cool. It works. Now I'm actually going to invest my time and build this perfect chanta. So you don't pick the moves in the battle agency in the game, right? They just know. hand you a Pokemon as preset. I'm pretty sure they're probably preset with like recommended moves or something if, like that. If you could pick the moves, would that be enough to get your Galtras on the moon? Because that, I mean, no, because that required me to go back on the 3ds. Uh, fair enough. I'm kind of done with Pokemon with this generation. You just go wait for the Switch generation now. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that, that's reasonable. But I, I have to admit, like, because I mean, I was really into it at one point, but then, um. I don't know. I think it was either either a bigger game got released. Maybe I got back into Smash Brothers again. But I don't know. I didn't want to burn myself out completely, especially because right. the Switch was kind of imminent. I'd rather dive back in, let myself take a nice long break so that I could pretty much withdraw horribly into it. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. But I mean, if you, I'm just thinking like conceptually. On like a on no, paper. No, well, yeah, I mean, th- that's all I want. I want them to give me the ability to create... I mean, they could call it a hologram mode where, like, you don't get any experience. Just, like, I let mean, me... They, they literally sort of... It's called the battle agency. <laughs> or it has a name. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the, the full details on it. Right, they didn't right. clarify if they could actually pick the nature and, like... Right, that's true. Yeah, it probably isn't. I mean, I doubt they would. But, like, if you if you look at... I, like, mean, I mean, they've slowly been getting there. I mean, they started with um, probably the closest you can get to what I would like is... um. And regular Sun and Moon, at one point, they started letting you rent out Pokemon from other people. Like, literally just use other people's teams. So, in theory, if other people made the Pokemon you like, you could use those Pokemon right. and see if you want to make it yourself by so so, testing so, it out in battle. So, battle is very expansion of something that was in Sun and Moon originally. Yeah, so it, it's, like, it's like a more refined... It's a refined version of that. So, gotcha. I can only imagine... What's next, yeah. Yeah, it, it could potentially go to that. I don't see why they wouldn't. It's only... It only makes sense, especially this one, honestly, if they really want to fight like Pokemon piracy, which mm-hmm. I've like completely like flipped on the whole issue. Like now I'm like totally against like Pokemon hacking and whatever. Yeah. Um, this would be the best way to do it. I mean, it's no different than Netflix and all those other streaming services. If you want people to like download things. You have to make it convenient enough. Yeah, you have to make it convenient. That's yeah. really it. Like, I'm not saying I don't want to, I mean... I hate hatching eggs and breeding Pokemon, but I'll do it if right. I know I'm not wasting my time, which the game should let me find out. Yeah, no, that that's there. But yeah, on, on I just said that on paper, like Valiancy plus legendaries plus baddies plus all those other features. That's a huge list of new things in Ultra Sun. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's actually really impressive that they crammed I mean, that much in, there, in a year. It definitely makes me go like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. It's actually a legitimate. But, game yeah but but, but out, uh, yeah. outside of pokemon there's really not much going on with 3ds like i think it'll continue chugging along with smaller scale releases i mean kirby battle royale is in january sushi uh striker is sometime next year if you remember that from e3 game of the year game of the year and uh yeah it'll probably live off 
like this 3ds will probably live off being a budget system in price and it's ever present evergreen library for a while um that's it. Nintendo literally has nothing else planned for tra- like the the release schedule is blank beyond Sushi Striker. It doesn't mean there won't be stuff. They announce stuff all the time, but like as of now, there's not much going on. Like the old theory of mine about 3DS getting about a little over a year of life in it after its successor comes out, in this case the Switch, seemed to be spot on. Just like GBA and DS, you know, it was like 18 months of GBA and it was done. It seems like 3DS is on track for that. So, so that's kind of what's going on with 3DS. It's a lot quieter and smaller scale than what we saw with Switch. But the final bit of Nintendo Financial News before we get to Mario Odyssey is sort of a catch-all-everything-else bucket. So this includes the fact that the NES Classic managed to already sell 2 million units, which is insane, but shouldn't be too surprising given the hype. Um, and it also includes the latest on Amiibo. So there's not much to say about the SNES Classic except, hey, it's doing well, cool, good job. But there's surprisingly a lot to say about Amiibo. More than I ever thought I'd have to say about Amiibo. Because believe it or not, sales of Amiibo are actually up year over year. For this six-month period that we're currently in, Nintendo sold 5.1 million, or not that we're currently in, but the the first six months of the fiscal year, up through September. Nintendo sold 5.1 million figures and 2.8 million cards. This same time last year, they only sold 3.8 million figures and 1.7 million cards. That's a noticeable difference. That's a million, that's like almost double the cards. And like two thirds more of the figures. Like so that's, is that's it a really lot. odd if the wedding Nintendo I trio? Think, you know, I wish it was, but I don't think it was because if you go like to Best Buy, they have so many of those. But I think to some extent you can thank the Switch. Like there was a renewed interest in part thanks to Zelda Breath of the Wild using them, Splatoon 2 using them. There's just more people that want to use them in more ways. You know, some people might have bought them from our credit deluxe. Who knows? But the thing that actually I find kind of surprising is the card number went up because the cards only work with Animal Crossing and Mario Sports Superstars in any sort of meaningful way. And I guarantee that Mario Sports coming out at the end of March did not boost cards for the whole first half of the fiscal year by over a million. That doesn't – that math doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. The game did not sell it well. But I can see people perhaps picking up the cards for Switch games like Mario Kart or Mario, Mario Odyssey to use them to unlock costumes or whatever – but even at that number, it's still, it still seems high. What I think is actually happening here is that all along, Nintendo secretly had the right toys to life strategy. Like, keep in mind, when Amiibo first hit the scene, there was a lot of competition. There's Skylanders, there's Disney Infinity, there's LEGO Dimensions, and all three of those competing Toy to Life brands focused on the toys being a central part of a specific game. And the two of us, many times over the years on the show, and I think a lot of others outside of us, questioned why Nintendo didn't have Amiibo focus on a game. Like, I still like our crazy idea of an Amiibo-based RPG starring Nintendo characters where you swap in your party by scanning the characters. Or like a Hearthstone where you swap in the party, or the cards by scanning the characters. Like, that's cool to me. But instead, Nintendo took a very different approach of simply making these little physical items that can be engaged across games in some occasionally big, but often very small ways. And what that led to, I think, is a situation where Nintendo's Amiibo became collectibles while the other guys toy to life figurines felt like necessary expenses and really they felt that way because they were necessary expenses and it turns out people got tired of paying for those necessary expenses see skylanders and disney infinity those both like bombed pretty much or not bomb but those both fizzled out very quickly and more recently we saw it happen with lego dimensions they n- never 
Apparently people never really wanted LEGO Dimensions in the first place. So Eurogamer put up this article examining what went wrong with LEGO Dimensions. It was cancelled outright a couple weeks ago, I think just before our last episode. And in the article, they point out that um, it's basically doomed from the start. The year one lineup of LEGO Dimension LEGO guys, like the ones you scan to the game, uh-huh. they never met original sales expectations. They had too many of them. Is that why they somehow ended up in the 99 cent store? Yes. So they were, they produced too many of them. And for the longest time, WB didn't want to cut the price because, or in Lego group, didn't want to cut the price because margins on Lego toys are so thin to begin with that if you cut the price, it's an automatic loss. Eventually they bit the bullet and said, well, hey, if we can get a user base out of this for year two and on, because they had a three year roadmap when they announced Lego Dimensions, they made a big deal of it. So if they can get the user base, they'll take the hit now and they'll, get back the money later. It's literally the strategy that every console maker except Nintendo now does. We'll take a hit on the console, we'll make the money on the games. So we'll take a hit on year one, we'll make the money on year two. Problem was, year two rolled around, and it centered around franchises like Ghostbusters, and it never really caught on because, well, things like the Ghostbusters reboot never caught on. So they had their eggs in the wrong basket to start with, and even though they produced fewer of each set based on year one underperforming, it still didn't counterbalance all the dev time and costs for the team at TT Games to make so much content for so many different Lego figurines and so many different sets. So long story short, they had you know the whole thing mapped out, everything was good to go, but then nothing performed how they wanted it to at the scale they wanted it to, and they just had to can it all year early. Like, in retrospect, it's probably why we never got a Switch version of LEGO Dimensions while we have a Switch version of literally every other LEGO game within, like, three months of the system coming out. Like, the signs were there, I guess. But it's just interesting to see that, like, LEGO, of all things, failed at this, yet somehow Amiibo is now the last toy to life standing. And I thought as far as, um, I guess, a toy to life. Yeah. Yeah, At least in regards to Disney Infinity, LEGO Dimensions, and Mm -hmm. Skylanders, because they were all Somewhat similar. I mean, they were all very similar. Yeah, yeah I felt like Lego Dimensions kind of had it the best. Like they almost, mm-hmm. I don't know. They did and they didn't. Well, they. I, I feel like they had a better, um, a better single player experience than maybe Skylanders. But I really like Disney Infinity. Like build your own anything. Oh, like, the toy box in Disney Infinity was the yeah, coolest thing. Yeah, the, the, the to toy- mix and match Disney universes like that, or yeah, Disney universes yeah. like that it was just like. I remember then, we tried to Comic Con. And, yeah, really cool. and then you got Star Wars and you had Marvel. It was, it was, it's almost really surprising that one didn't really work out because even those characters, yeah. like just having them on that kind of uniform design kind of makes them more appealing to collect just because, like, oh, I could have an entire series of blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the problem, though, is just like this idea that they were still, you need, you needed to buy them as a critical component of the game. So you would go buy a $60 game. And then if you want to add new content, you then need to go spend yeah. money and make shelf space while Nintendo comes in and they're like... I do like that you could just be like, hmm, I like this character. I'll just buy it and exactly. not really think about anything. And then like, oh, I could use it for this. That's exactly. Because cool. what they did is they, instead of making them must-haves, they made these collectible nice-to-haves that give you, you know, a little perk across a, whole, a host of different titles should you choose to do it. But that's all they did. Like, there's no... Like, if I don't scan... <laughs> my wedding outfit Bowser into Mario Odyssey, it's not like I'm not accessing a kingdom. But if you did that with Disney Infinity... Well, at least now you're not. (laughs) Well, yeah, well... I mean, I like that they have that disclosure now that's like, everything you get from these Amiibo can can be... Yeah, but but even in the the peak of crazy Amiibo situation, they never did something on that that much of a physical DLC sort of block. The Tomb 1 did. 
Oh, that's right, they did. I was gonna say they never you unlocked some... whole levels and yeah, challenges that right. got you music and that's right weapons. And... So they've learned. So they've learned to adapt it, and maybe that's also why Amiibo sales are people are just buying what they want, buying yeah, but for adapt, survive. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's yeah, just Splatoon two definitely did not fix that. Yeah. yeah, and and the thing is, like to to be fair, the numbers Amiibo are now pulling are nowhere near the debut numbers they did in the first year or two. But if sales continue at a clip of five or six million every six months or whatever. You know, that's a nice side business for Nintendo. As, or as Apple used to call the Apple TV, that's a hobby. That's like a hobby for them. And we know demand for non-Nintendo or non-game Nintendo items, so not software, is high, including Amiibo. So they, they, it can keep turning around. And we know this because um, this came out in, in an interview with Reggie with in uh, Mashable. Apparently, when Nintendo did the Vans and Uniqlo collaborations, they were so popular both Vans and Uniqlo had to do second runs of the collaborations. In the case of Vans, the it's the first time able... in Vans history they did a second run. The only reason I was able to get those um, shoes I eventually wanted because they missed right. out on the first run. Yeah, it again, first time in Vans history. They've been around since the 60s. First time they've ever done a second run because of demand. Like that. Well, so the, the the thing with the thing for Amiibo, the key thing for Amiibo, I, mean, I think. Yeah. Mean, that's all that line was. It, they, it was literally just nostalgia. Oh, it's every, nostalgia fuels everything. Why do you think mm-hmm. the 90s are back in such a big way? It's kind of weird. Nostalgia literally is the driving force of everything. Movie reboots, well, music mean, trends, clothes, video games. Everyone likes to reminisce about the past. It's true. The, the better times. Doesn't matter how what era you're from. Yep, it's very true. But yeah, so I think the key thing for Amiibo is um, obviously the interest is there. The Vans and Uniqlo things show it. The fact that Amiibo's up year over year show it. But I think Nintendo needs to focus on leveraging that interest, specifically with unique, interesting amiibo. Stuff like the champions from Zelda. And de-emphasize general character ones. There's only so many Mario someone's going to buy. There's only so many Peaches someone's going to buy. Case in point, and it pains me to say this, because Wedding Outfit Bowser is my favorite, and I kind of started saying this before. But I was at Best Buy the other day. They had like 50 Wedding Outfit Bowsers. Everywhere. You go to the Nintendo shelf, you know how they have like their own aisle for Nintendo? He was everywhere. He's on the top, he's on the bottom, he's on the left, he's on the right, he's on the demo unit, he's in the amiibo shelf, he's behind a game, he's under a game, he's over a game. It's just like it was inundated with Bowsers. And that's unfortunate because he's a really cool amiibo, but I think to some extent people are like, I already own three Bowsers, why do I need a fourth one? It doesn't have the appeal of like if you're collecting new characters, it's still Bowser. And apparently for a lot of people, judging on the fact there are 50 of them at my Best Buy, yeah, Maybe I it's mean, not enough. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I love Bowser, and I don't I, even. And I don't even I have bought I don't, it for you because you weren't gonna buy it. <laughs> well, not because I didn't want to. Oh, sure, yeah, but I. I mean, you know, I had to yeah, like, literally right. cancel my pre-order. But that's right, yeah. But even then, um, I mean, excluding that, I don't even have all the Bowsers. There was I still don't have standard Bowser. Yeah, just because he was just so generic and standard. Like I don't mm-hmm. need him. I'm good with the Smash Brothers one, the Skylanders one. And now the wedding belt. Yeah, so I think what's key for Nintendo is they need to just pick their characters carefully. Like, don't do an Animal Crossing, Nintendo. Don't put out a bunch of characters no one knows and expect them to sell, and then suddenly I can go buy Tom Nook for 99 cents, which I didn't do. I'm not giving Tom Nook any of my money. But, um, you know, like, the the Champions make sense. It's in a very popular game, and it's unique, and it's kind of cool. Like, stuff like that. Like, I honestly feel like if they do a Cappy Amiibo in the future, it would do better than the Bowser did. Especially because Cappy's already been uh, Nintendo just copyrighted Cappy to use for merchandise in Japan. Like he, there's a merchandise copyright around him now. So expect all sorts of Cappy caps coming soon. And I'm not, I'm not just talking like a child. I mean caps <laughs> in the shape of Cappy, Cappy caps. 
But uh, yeah, you know, Wang Bowser, Cappy Caps, all that. Turns out it's a great segue into the final topic of the episode, the big game of the episode, really the big game of the holidays. I'm talking about Super Mario Odyssey. It's it's a game that is being played and is enjoyable. And to be fair, to be upfront, I still haven't beaten it. I have the bet going with Angel that I'll have a that I'll have the main story beat by um, next episode. I think you've beaten the main story, but you haven't fully 100 percent the game yet. So these are like in progress playthrough impression like things we notice things we think work things we think don't work more than it is like the definitive this is mario it's more like observations i guess so since you're ahead what do you think of mario odyssey yeah, it's fun that's yeah, a good game um, and that's the show now yeah. but uh, I, I don't I, know i mean I, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it but i i don't know the i guess like some people i I can't really give like I don't really know if I really like it until I finish the whole thing. So it, that, it, it, it's like is that a fault of the game's design? Like if you if no, you, that's just me and games in general. Like no, but I mean like if you're enjoying it as you're playing it, is is that enough, or is are you worried that something's oh, gonna happen? It, like is the end game gonna if the end game's not good enough? Actually, is no, that gonna hurt? No, you're right. It, it is kind of a it's definitely more of a Mario thing for me. So so what, uh, what what's the thing that's making you a little tepid about the game? Because it sounds like there's something. Well, I guess because every time um I get to a new kingdom, I experience some stuff. I'm like, all right, cool, this is fun, but it's not like I'm not satisfied yet. Like I'm still like like I need more, and then I get that little more, and I'm like, oh, like interesting. I'm just not satisfied yet. Is it, I, is I'm it, not. Is it because I is haven't it the devaluing of moons? Because that's an interesting thing in that's, this that's Mario. Pro- that, that's probably my biggest sticking point with the game. It's it's a weird thing in Mario where um, moons are both what stars used to be in Mario, but also what Korok seeds are in... You know what the moons are? You know Banjo-Kazooie? Uh, of course you know Banjo-Kazooie. You know how they have like seven different things you can collect? Like, oh, here's the jigsaw piece, and here's a Jinjo, and here's a feather. Nintendo's like, what if all those are just the same object? And we'll make it so you only need a certain number to get to the next part. But you can keep getting more if you want. Well, no. That's kind of... No, because Banjo-Kazooie is like, you had the five Jinjos in every world. Yeah. But when you collect all of them, you get a Jiggy. You have all the hundred feathers in every oh, world. Oh, But true. when you collect yeah, them, you that's get true. it. That's like, they true. always they always give you Jiggies. Like, so those, maybe it's a DK64 like, like, situation. Like, 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 those are the, the consistent Jiggies. No, yeah. yeah. It's definitely... It's more like... um. It, it's like it's, the Korok seeds, but instead yeah, of... Yeah, in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, because the thing about... um, I guess, At least, like, the past... The, that past, yeah, the past um, 3D Mario games, they had, they obviously did not have as many moons or stars to collect. They only had like about like 120, 240. Right, and and, it was limited to like 8%. Yeah, they had 240 in um, Galaxy 2's case. Mm-hmm. But every single like star I got, like felt, I guess, earned. Like I felt like, I don't know, I, I felt like, it, they felt like an accomplishment. And I would say about a third of all the ones I've had so far and right now I have like 620, so like about 200 of them. I'm like, I just found on my way to finding, a, like, on my way to a moon I know I was actually trying to collect. Right. And some of them were just like, they just feel like so haphazardly put. It's like, oh, I'm just walking. Oh, there's one. I just ground pound <laughs> this random spot on the ground. Like, oh, there's one. Like, oh, I need to get through I, this alleyway, so let me just break these boxes. Oh, there's a star. There's a moon there. Okay. I feel like. Like, there were just so many that it just, yeah, like you said, like, it just completely devalued them a lot to me at least a bunch of them almost to the point where it felt like they should have just been like gold like giant golden coins like you have in um super mario 3d land where you mm-hmm. have the main stars or the main 
collectible. I guess it was just like the the top of the flag for whatever. Right. And then you have like a sub collectible, like, oh, did you get the three coins in every world? But since everything is a moon, I don't know. It just felt. I, you know, I feel like it's partly. I think Mario Odyssey took a lot from Breath. Of, so let me back up. Nintendo claims Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild are very different things and designed in very different ways. Mario Odyssey is supposedly this walled garden where everything's meticulously placed and they encourage exploration, but they know what you're going to find each step of the way. So to your point about the moons and them being devalued, they know you're going to find a moon when you hit that box. They know you're going to find a moon when you ground pound that spot. It's not like in Breath of the Wild where the physics engine or the chemistry engine of the game determine these things. They are very meticulously placed. But... They what they share with Breath of the Wild is that both of them are designed around this idea of you start the game and you basically have the entire skill set you need. You basically are given every tool. It's not like in other Mario's where it's like I mean it kind of is with the power up with the hats I guess, but like it's, in old Zelda, it used to be, hey here's a new dungeon, here's a new item for that dungeon. And then the new Zelda in Breath of the Wild, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Now what you do is you get all these items at any time and you use them in a different, you know, like all the powers and stuff, you use in different ways for different dungeons, but you have them all all the time. We're not actually, like, introducing a thing and then taking it away. So what Breath of the Wild does that Mario now does is they both kind of present this, like, here's everything you need, go and explore. And I think because they took that angle and then left the moons in place, what they essentially did was Korok seeded the entirety of Mario Odyssey. The only which I actually that, don't particularly mind. Which is the difference for me that the Korok seeds... Well, in this case, like now they're mandatory. Like, the Korok seeds, like... Yeah, you can collect them if you want. You don't have to collect them. But at least when I found the Korok seed, I felt like, oh, cool, I found a Korok seed. Like, I don't know. I felt... It felt rewarding. Mm-hmm. But when I find these random moons that... Like, oh, I, I'm i just going to go to this random spot on the map, and then I just happen to find one. Because they are very... I don't know. It doesn't... The moons are very Korok seed. I mean, straight up, like, yeah, Korok they... seeds, you wander over somewhere, and there it is. And the moons are saying... And know. they tried, I think, to your point, that you they know, tried it... to have collectibles and sub-collectibles. When you do important things, you get multi-moons. They they end up counting towards the same thing. Well, they're just three moons, yeah. But but where where I was... Yeah, but my, my they end up counting towards the same thing. But the fact is, you are being treated to, like, oh, you did something more important. Here's more of a reward. And I think what I was trying to get before at the I sort of lost my thread when I was talking like in my head. But what I was trying to get to before at the idea of, like you're presented with everything at once in both games is I think the idea is you can in whichever game, Breath of the Wild or, or Mario, it's an interesting parallel. You can just make your way through what the game wants you to do. You can just do the story in Breath of the Wild, you can just do the linear path that Mario sets out sets you out on. Or if you branch off, then you find the Korok seeds, or in this case the moons. So if you do the set path, you get the moons you need and whatever. If you do the cor- if you do um, the more exploratory, like I'm going really slow through a game. I'm only on the third or fourth kingdom, and that's because I'm like finding every nook and cranny and finding the moons at that point instead of doubling back. And that's kind of my prerogative. But the 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 thinking I think is whichever one you choose, whichever path you choose, however you choose to play it. In both cases, there's like, hey. We made a thing that's easy to get through if you really want to just get through it, or if you want to make it more difficult, it could be more difficult. How, what you actually achieve by doing it, it doesn't really matter what it's labeled. Ultimately, it's just like, are you choosing to explore, or are you choosing to follow the narrative? In this case, the linearity of Mario. So I think I think the... I get why you find it devalued, the moons, because it kind of it kinda is. But at the same time, it's kind of like, but are you playing just to say you got a moon, or are you playing because you want to like see what they hid in the wall garden are you playing zelda just to get all the korok seeds or are you playing zelda to see what you can do in that world like what you can create in that world i think that's kind of 
this mindset of Nintendo going forward. It's not so much about what you're doing versus how you're doing it. So they give you all the tools at the outset to get it done, and it's up to you to forge your own journey, so to speak. Maybe. That's kind of, like, it's just a different design philosophy than I think they did in 64 or Sunshine, where it's like, okay, you have specifically eight things you need to do. And I think that's partly why in Odyssey, you don't lose the moon, or you don't lose your place in the level when you get a moon. All the other Mars, the second you got that, that star in 64 and, and Sunshine, you were taken right back out of level. You go back in, it's slightly reset, things are tweaked for the new star, and then you move forward, and then you're done, you're taken out. This one, it's like, well, I just stumble across things, just like, that's how it is. You find things, and you choose what to do at that point. So, perhaps they made a mistake by labeling everything the same type of moon, but in terms of how the game plays itself out, I'm not sure, or how you choose to play it, I'm not sure if it necessarily matters that it's a moon versus a star versus a Korok seed versus, you know, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? I was not sure when to cut you off, so I completely lost all the train of thought I wanted to say. Oh, sorry. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, they took the Breath of the Wild exploratory concept and then applied it to the wild garden world of Mario, essentially. So, I think that's where the moon thing comes from. And I get, I do agree that they have some weird moons that when you get to them, it's just like, why is this an achievement? Because the moon still feels like it should mean something. Okay, but well, it it is ultimately just a different label for an item to collect. Like it's just they chose to use the I same don't know. label or not. Mario games, three D Mario games, um, are always they're always special to me in the sense that they're the very few kinds of games where I actually do like to explore everything. I mean, there is that like I have that um reputation of myself where I do like to just like get to the ending. I yeah. don't really like to explore. Like that's usually mm-hmm. my mo for open world games, but for Mario games specifically. I usually always want to. I always, I always, one hundred percent every Mario game. I'm mm-hmm. never not one hundred percent at a Mario game, and this one like is no different to me. Like I'm gonna one hundred percent. I'm gonna find everything. But for the other ones, I guess because, I mean, I still like that you could explore. Like in Sunshine, I liked running around and exploring. Right. But I like that there was still, I don't know, yeah. The the moons they just felt more carefully placed when Stops. you get them. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> this is really confusing. Why did Nintendo switch the shape? But anyway. I know, yeah. When you find the stars, they, they feel like, yeah, okay, well, I'm rewarded. But in Odyssey, I guess because there's just so many, and later on you'll find out that there's even more in the world that you find, and then so many overlap, almost to the point where, like... Oh, like, so like it's not so much they're devalued in terms of, like, it's like, easy to get, like, that like it's, they're redundant. It's dev- Yeah. It, Interesting. A lot of them are very redundant. Interesting. So that's, that's also a whole different argument. I know. It, that's that's yeah. what I just remember right now, because... Yeah, I left my train of thought. But no, I don't mean like we were arguing. Yeah. I mean like no, that's no, no. a different angle. No, I know. About. Yeah, like they a lot. I think that yeah, a lot of them just feel devalued because they feel very redundant. Like I get to the top of this tall mountain. Oh, you get a star there. A, 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 oh my god, a moon. A moon. I'm just gonna call them stars. It's fine. Care. Everyone understands. Yeah, like so you find a star there at the top of the mountain that it's called like you made it to the top of the star, and then later on like another moon appears. Like I'm just like oh, I see some butterflies there behind that. Behind that, like on top of that hill, I'm just gonna stomp there, and then like, oh, you find another one, butterfly secret, okay. And then later <laughs> on, when you do something like later in the game, another one just appears on top of the tree on top of that hill, and it's like another one. Ah, and it's like, all right, they're just... DJ Khaleding a bit, another one. Yeah, and that's kind of like, um, I mean, as much as I like to explore Mario levels, I like to be like, all right, cool, I comb through, and this was like, just because of like the way I played the game, I kind of comb through, um the first area like I went everywhere I could possibly go I'm like cool I uh-huh. explored this area uh-huh. and then all of a sudden now there's more 
moons there. Right. And I have to come through it again. And I get it. Okay. I don't know. And then there's some moons that, um, because there's just so many, some of them, like, I don't know. I just find myself sometimes just ground pounding, like almost like every inch. Like, oh my God, like, where is this last moon? Like, but they, they light up the ground when there's a moon there. No, there's some that don't. That's annoying. Some are, <laughs> I don't know. Some are really well hidden and in a really, in a way that I actually really enjoy. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure you've noticed these, like, they're in the beginning of the game too. Like, there's these paintings that you just look at and they look like very random. Like, oh, take a picture of this and save it on your Switch's yep. memory. Yep. And then you have to figure out what that picture represents. And when you find that picture and you stomp on that correct spot, then you're like, oh, cool. I figured it out. That's actually it. pretty clever. Yeah. So I like that kind of like, they don't really tell you where it is. But right. there's a lot of them where, I don't know, you pretty much have to go to like the hint toad or the thing like, okay, like where is this last moon? Because I just want to collect it because I've literally explored every inch of this place, but I have no idea where it is. And it turns out it's just, I don't know, some dumb random little corner right. that you did walk through and you saw, but... Yeah, yeah, because I kind of like at a high. It almost level, feels like a, like a chore, like like I'm completing a chore. They DK sixty four did in your mind. Yeah, because I mean it's fun going through the world and like yeah, like talking to the people and just like seeing like all the little, almost like little toys that you could just play with. But then once you've gone through all that once and you're just going like, all right, I have five moons left. Where are they? Right. And then you you find two and you're like, all right, cool. Now where's the last three? And then the last two are just like, oh my god, like. So it's almost in in if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, it's almost less about like. A difficulty curve for the completionists and more just about uh, it's just like a mindless task that you just have to work yeah like if you really want to be a completionist it, it doesn't it's not like in other mario games where it's like oh it gets really hard but if you know what you're doing this one's like it sounds like a lot of just you have to keep recombing yeah because um now that i think about it the like galaxy one and galaxy two like when you're trying to get every single moon like they i mean the difficulty just kind of ramps up like mm -hmm. the later moons like that you're trying to get just get harder to get there are these challenge comments that make you replay a level, but this time you, can, you can't get hit at all. Or is it with you die? Right, or sometimes right. you have the shadow And that's, that's a skill-based thing. Yeah, so pretty much the further you are in your and you start collecting, the harder the game gets overall. Right. And this one, the difficulty kind of stays the same. You just have to run around more and miss that one tiny spot that mm -hmm. you thought mm -hmm. you had or didn't. Yeah, because the way... Again, I'm going through it the first time, so I have a slightly different perspective, obviously, because I haven't looped back. But like, as as the first run through, the thing I'm really enjoying is like, as a typical Mario game, you have your point A to point B if you want it. But if you want to go out into the walled garden, as they called it, uh, you can, and then you're sort of your reward for doing it. Like your reward, at least in the first run through, for like the wooded kingdom. I fell off the thing. I fell off the kingdom, and then suddenly I'm in a second deep wood kingdom thing like deep woods yeah. area and i'm like whoa what is this like a whole second world and i was exploring that and getting moons there it's so like that first run through is really fun but i guess yeah if i had to go back four times i could see why i would get frustrated you know what it is actually i think it's because this is more it feels like the kind of collectibles that i'm now getting or the moons that i'm chasing now mm -hmm. feel more like the kind of things i would not do in a typical open world game ah uh, but like, because they're moons yeah like, like, so it does go back to the label in a weird way yeah like because I mean, if they I'm, called him anything else, it went bother like, like, like I'm huh. just like I'm just thinking like when I was watching Elvis play Red Dead Redemption, like he would like run around and I would see him like picking flowers and he had to pick these like, sure. like a bunch of these specific flowers so he could get this achievement or he had to like ride every kind of horse and just like running around the whole world finding these arbitrary flowers or mm -hmm. horses, and I'm like I would not waste my time doing that and now I, you're wasting your time doing that and now I'm pretty much <laughs> doing those kinds of tasks yeah. that 
So, so whereas before you would get a whole level catered to getting this one star, and yeah. then there's like 240 of them, so you have like all these things to do. Now I'm just running around butt stomping random places it, and it's, just running into stars all over the place and like, all right, where's that last one? Oh, break that box. It, it's funny because like, again, it does sort of come down to a labeling thing, but it's less on you and more on Nintendo now because like if they want people to get them all, then they're making people basically do it. What, what was the equivalent of like two or three different tasks in most old '90s platforms? Yeah, because I mean, because I, I do love um I mean, and like I said, that's only like about a third of the stars that just feel redundant or and that's the last or not that. to be clear to people listening. We're talking about the last third of the game here. Past oh, the no, no, story, oh no 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 like, no no no! I'm just talking about like a third of all the stars I've collected in general, like the uh, ones that I just like. Oh, but even like even on my first playthrough, I'm not getting anywhere. I just butt stomp a random spot that's not glowing or anything, and then a star pops out. There's always some something like either no, you yeah. found a little know, like, nook or you found a like sometimes rock I'll, like like sometimes I'll just like fall off somewhere and then like oh there's a star there. So that happened to me. I fell off something and then I was sort of like trying to save myself by doing the little hat jump trick, which I'm not very good at, as you know, because I tried to learn it over half an hour and still failed. But um, yeah, I landed on a platform I didn't even know was there, and then there was a moon. I don't know how I got how I would get there normally, but I was like, "Well, that's cool." <laughs> so no, yeah, but I, I mean, ignoring those like that third of the moon, yeah. like the other moons, like the ones that you know they did like sculpt whole levels around them. Like yeah. I do love like discovering those. I like finding like, "Oh, there's the rocket. That means I get to go to this other world." Or oh, there's that hidden door. Like, yeah. and like there's still a lot of moons that I do like. It's fine that we led with like, here's the worst third of the game. <laughs> but there's these two excellent other thirds. Yeah, but I, but I mean, because yeah. the nice thing about Odyssey is that, I mean, it's all sprinkled in like throughout. Like, mm-hmm. usually those annoying moons are found in between those other good moons. Right. It's only when, I mean, only because I like, want... only because you're trying to complete the game that Yeah, I think like, you come this through... is you. Because you, you beat the whole game in six hours, right? Like, that's why yeah. you challenge me to the bet. For those who d- didn't listen to last episode, we have a bet where, I think I said this at top, but I have to beat the story, the main story, beat Bowser, by um, the end of next episode. And you did that in six hours. So and what? I'm about at six hour, no, I'm more, but I don't know where I am. But so what I did is, in two days, I to do am in way 30. behind you, yeah, in terms of progress. And I, it's because I'm combing the world. I'm literally going everywhere. And you just ran through it, and I have to keep doubling. I mean, back. I didn't run through the whole. Well, not thing. run through, yeah. it, but you know what I mean. You did the minimum to get the moons to go to the next. Only kingdom. up until like halfway through the game, I started doing that. Right. So far, every kingdom I've exceeded the minimum moon count by at least six or seven. To get, you know, how you like get mm. the moons, and it's like you can fly away now. I stay and keep doing. No, stuff. well, that well, yeah. I mean, yeah, because that's what I was trying to say. That because. Well, I don't know. This was just in the beginning of the game. I thought it was like other Mario 3D games, which was my bad for assuming. <laughs> ever soon um like yeah like some kingdoms tell you oh you only need eight to continue yeah and i was thinking like oh the other the next one probably needs eight or ten so there was like the first three kingdoms i usually got like 30 or 20 oh, or right. like yeah like i exceeded it by moons a, are like, like a, specific. Like, yeah like a giant amount so yeah. I, I got my 30 i'm like all right cool i get to just hop on to like two levels from now but it's like nope you need another 10 moons and some currency are kingdom specific which makes for interesting collecting in a way it's like yeah. it's sort of like flips the idea of what Rare did with like Banjo Kazooie or or Donkey Kong, where it's like you have all these different collectibles and they're all these different tallies. You, know you still have those, but yeah. they specifically tie to specific worlds and do specific things in those worlds that get you new costumes or get you access to a new world. And it's it's an interesting change in the dynamic, though. I find it really funny that in spite of 
all the things they give you moons for, like for all yeah. the random things you do. Like you get a moon for sitting on a bench next to a guy that they don't prompt you or anything. You just do it. Well, he's lonely. He says something to you. No, I mean when I was walking by, like I didn't really notice him saying anything. I just, uh, yeah, like I just actually I was jumping on top of buildings and you I just fell onto the bench. No, I just jumped on the bench, uh, and I think I just stood there for a second. And he just yeah, and he's like, down. "Oh hey, you're talking to me." Dance well, me. yeah, Mars Martha sat down. Yeah. yeah, but point is, um, yeah, for all the random moons they give you. Um, they don't give you one for collecting all the coins in a world, which I thought was kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, I guess the reward is the fact that now you could afford everything that's world-specific yeah, to that. Yeah, that's but... probably what it is. But, and, and, and that's the thing is, like, excluding the And as moon, you'll see later on, they then give you moons for a bunch of other stuff, and you're just like, oh, and I'm even more surprised that you don't get one for the coins. But Interesting. Well, I, I will say, I guess you technically do, moon yeah. fetch quest aside, like the the two thirds of the game that you seem to have enjoyed, it's really good, isn't it? Like it's, oh yeah, really good. Like I'd love like this is this is kind of a specific oh, yeah. thing I noticed, but I find it really interesting. Well, first of all, the game just has really great personality. I love all the new characters. I love the worlds. I love the species. I love like the the, the robot dudes in the Wood Kingdom. I really like those guys. No, oh, yeah, they definitely did a good job of that. Except and for like, I don't know. I, I think my. It was, the, 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 the Snow Kingdom kind of... Oh, I'm uh, not there yet, but... Yeah, I don't know. That one just... just Well, I don't know. just felt really barren. It's like, uh, it's yeah. like, like outside of the... I don't know what, what these animals are. They look like fat seals. Hmm. Like besides like the their race course that you do with them, the... I don't know. I mean, I, I you, you'll see when you get there, but essentially once you... I guess progress through that part of the story, then you revisit it. It looks completely different, and it just looks very plain and like. Well, that's true of all the kingdoms. That's actually something I really like. Not the plainness, like, but the fact that you you go through a level, you complete whatever the initial moon goal was. You do every one along the way, but you do the initial moon goal, and then there's you fight the brutal, and then you go back and you fight a, a world specific boss, and the world changes between that first and second. Like you know, the desert goes from night to day, the or day to night. The Wooded Kingdom goes from sunny to rainy, like that sort of thing. Like, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool. Yeah, yeah, some of them change more than others, but you yeah, had the Snow Kingdom and just well, some of them, yeah, it just looks yeah, so trying barren. not to say spoilers, I could tell. Yeah, this is, but I don't know, compared to even the Snow Kingdom from like the N sixty four one, that one just had way more personality and music. This one just feels kind of boring. Yeah, I, I, uh, on the personality note though, how about Mario? He himself, oh, man. so much personality. This, I, I love how animated this, this game gave him so much needed like emotion. Besides, like it's the great. Mario Luigi, like since the Mario Luigi games, like he's just been kind of yeah. neutral. It reminds me a lot of when I first played Luigi's Mansion on GameCube, and I'm like, whoa, that Luigi's expressive. Like mm-hmm. this is that, but like on steroids, obviously. But yeah. like even little, like all the little touches, just things like the dog and how it follows you, like you know after you. Save the yeah. world or whatever, or uh, or the kingdom. I mean, or like Mario's different animations. Mario extending his arms while he runs. Mar- like all these little things. The the, the photo mode. I just love the fact free... that he could play dress up too. Just... Yeah, that's another thing it took it... from Breath of the Wild and really sort of like both games. Much like the idea of like exploration, are really big on dress however you want. Yeah, it just felt like <laughs> Nintendo was like, we're finally not afraid to let Mario look ridiculous. Like, yeah, and it works out. Yeah, great. No, no, I, I really, really like that. I also really like this is kind of a weird thing. I mean it's not a weird thing, but I really like the hat mechanic. Not not necessarily capturing. I mean the hat throw. Capturing is cool too. It capturing to me 
is I know I was referencing earlier Zelda dungeons and how like Breath of the Wild doesn't do anymore and Mario kind of has the same like you do what you want thing but there is one element of classic Zelda dungeons I think is cool and that is the capturing mechanic because there are certain enemies in certain worlds that you only capture in that world kingdom in that kingdom to do a specific thing that's catered to that kingdom it reminds me so much of classic Zelda dungeons where you get this you know new item that does a certain ability that's relevant to that one dungeon only but what's nice about like how the whole hat mechanic works is the amount of moves that Mario has to all these captures, be it an enemy, be it a rock, be it a tree, be it a person, be it, you know, anything. The amount of variety and different things you can do off the same three buttons, while in most games, if you learn new skills, they stack on one another and you have to do like crazy button combinations or whatever. That's really cool. I mean, like the simplicity of that, it works really well and it's a really kind of cool power up replacement. Kind of, because that's all the hat system really. Yeah. The capturing of going mechanic like... is power ups. It's Mario sixty four's wear different hats to do different things inverted. Like yeah. instead of you wearing different hats, you're putting your hat on different things. It's the exact same mechanic, but it just it just works so well on it. So like you never really need like even when know, Mario could Mario could just as easily capture the spring and galaxy, and that would have been the yeah. same thing. Like... Yeah, and they could have easily like. They you they put the the instructions under you know whenever you take over a new enemy it's like hey to move fast press this or to shoot press that usually to do you anything never, better you shake yeah but you never actually need those instructions because it's always the same basic moves which I think is what's so brilliant about the game is like Mario at its core is a very simple game you run and you jump or in this case you run and you throw your hat but the fact that they're able to pile so many different move sets on top of that and have it still feel as simple is really cool and then on top of that to be able to do all the complex like crazy maneuvers like the hat jump to the hat to the you know like all the special not special skills what would you call it like advanced skills uh that the fact that that's there as built using the exact same simple buttons you use normally it's just like it works it works really well it also feels like you're playing a fighting game when you do the advanced ones I suck at it because I suck at fighting game calls but the fact that they have you know people speed running against the Koopa Troopers with these insane jumping maneuvers off the exact same control scheme you use to fire the tank, which is the exact same control scheme you use just to throw your hat. Like, that's impressive that they can make that simplicity stem out into that many yeah, different things. I will say that um, Mario's cap arsenal is definitely my favorite way to control Mario than, than yeah. compared to all the other Mario games. Like, I just it just feels so natural. Yeah. Like, I love just, like, the fact that you could bounce off his caps, attack with the hats. Like, I mean, with this cap, it feels like... um. I don't know, like if they do the next Smash Brothers, I feel you like like Cap. Cappy should be incorporated in Definitely. some way. You know, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. The, it's the, just great. The Cap, Cappy's existence, the idea of the hat throw. If I, you think about, I can't imagine him not having Cappy anymore, honestly. Right. Or uh, even if it's not Cappy, just him like having just like a magical hat that he just could just throw and yeah, it just feels very Mario. Like I'm surprised they hadn't done that before. Well, well, what's interesting is like so. Mario's always had this weird thing where they're trying to come up with an I mean, alternative. It's more to... iconic than his hat. Yeah, no, but like it feels very Mario in terms of gameplay, I think, too, because like Mario's always had this thing where obviously in the 2D Mario's it was you jump, right? Like it's you run and you jump. And you can jump in this game, but jumping was the main enemy thing. You hit him on the head, that's that. I feel like in every 3D Mario game, they've been trying to find the right replacement for jump. Or try to make jumping easier. Or try to make jumping easier. Like with Flood, it's like, oh, you got the jetpack to hover so you could precisely yeah. make sure you land on the yeah, enemy. Yeah, because there is this thing. I don't know if... And anyone... the water is literally aiming. Yeah, it's literally the enemy. showing you a line directly to the <laughs> enemy. But the yeah, because there was this thing when 3D Land came out back when we first started the podcast. I think 3D Land was literally our first episode. That game, the selling point Nintendo kept saying, 
Miyamoto in particular would be like, in 3D Mario's, people have trouble navigating the sense of depth. depth and where to land your jump. You often have to make multiple attempts to jump on Goomba. 3D land stereoscopic 3D, check it out. You can actually see the depth. It's really easy. And he, and he was right. It, it, Mimo was right. It was easier to tell. Stereoscopic 3D is not on anything else right now, and it never will be anymore, I think. Um, so, you know, Nintendo's come up with alternatives. And I think, uh, I think the closest they had to the natural feeling of the jump was the spin move in Galaxy. You spin into an enemy. Like, you don't have to aim it. You just, instead of pressing a button, you just flick. And it's, you know, it's kind of a one-to-one. Yeah, like you don't even have to aim. Like yeah, whatever. so, but then what they did with the hat, which I think is actually really interesting, is it is like the full realization of the spin move. They took Galaxy's spin move, and we're like, well, what if you, like, stack some abilities on it? What if, I don't know. Yeah, and even if What if it's homing? The- what if it can go any which way? What if it can become a platform in of itself? What if it can... What if it can uh, capture an enemy in theory, which not doesn't really help my point. But they basically took a simple move and then built an entire platforming mechanic idea. Like the entirety of the platforming in Odyssey is split down the middle between stuff you do with the hat and stuff you do with his body. Yeah, there's definitely less of a focus on killing the minions. Like, yeah. For the most part, almost every minion you could like take control of. So you're not really spending a lot of time like jumping on them. You're just controlling them. Yeah, I mean, they had to create brand new Goombas that are smaller and white just because regular Goombas are now right. capturable. Yeah. yeah, but it's just interesting to see like a mechanic that started the spin move that started as a substitution for two D games jumping has now become the core platforming device in and of itself. Like it's like the fully realized version of the spin move from Galaxy, which you don't really think about. But it basically yeah. the hat even literally spins. Like it's it's definitely like there's a through line from Galaxy, and every, you know because everyone's like, oh, si- this game's based on 64 and Sunshine. It's that throwback, and it totally is in gameplay structure. But Mario moves that. I would say there's a heavy, heavy, heavy Galaxy influence with that hat. Well, yeah, which, definitely. It's really the amalgamation of like every single. I mean, Mario Galaxy game. just had his. Um, I mean, you just waited like stutter his jump. Like, I mean, yeah. his spin was like another like yeah, another set of height. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just a really well done game, minus your nitpicks about the moons. But yeah, and I mean that's like I don't know, like that that's one of the things that I will definitely get over. I'm sure every Mario game had its its sticking points, kind of like that. But because I mean, when I beat the game, I tip, I mean most people typically remember the the better points, and this game has so many good points that mm-hmm. I'm sure those moons will. Yeah, the thing is, it's just so much easier to talk about the negative than the positive. Yeah. Yeah, so we did this exact same thing with um, Splatoon and with ARMS and with Kart, Mario Kart even, where we opened up like, what do you think of the game? And we spent like 15 minutes bashing it and then we're like, but really, it's a really good game. Yeah, (laughs) it's funny because I'm like, I mean, as highly as I was talking about like the other Mario games, um, almost to make a point because when I beat the, when I beat the boss, I get you to the credits, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like you, whatever. Um, I was like, is that, like was was this one was this last level too easy or were yeah. the other ones like like do I because re- I I don't know I just remember like I remember Galaxy two Galaxy one and three world just having much harder levels and like much more grand levels I thought they were just cooler so then I actually went back and played them that same night like back to back to mm-hmm. back to back and they weren't as hard as I remembered I I kind of breathed through them and I'm like wow like even if it was my first time playing them like it was the same amount of trial and error. Right. So it was definitely, like, rose-colored glasses definitely affected. But the one thing I will give the other games is that I felt like their music was much more 
It just felt much, much, much more grand. I really, it's not grand, I'll give you that, but I really do enjoy Mario Oz. I love how every world sounds no, so yeah, different. No, yeah, like, like, I love the, the soundtrack in this game is great, but I mean, I don't know. It I, doesn't have the celestial, yeah, orchestral vibe. Yeah, I don't know, it's going to be hard to type Galaxy. Like, they just nailed, like, all the intensity that you need, like, for certain tracks. And yeah. even the ones that weren't intense, like, I mean, Gusty Garden and New Way Galaxy or, mm-hmm. yeah, like, those are... Yeah. But you know, you know what uh, wow. Odyssey does that Just wow. Galaxy literally couldn't do because it didn't exist. HD Rumble. This is the last thing I have to say about Odyssey, I think. But man, dude, HD Rumble is cool in this game. Like it works really well. I mean, they use it for some simple stuff, like hey, uh, it's got a rumble near where the moon is. Ground pound over it's there. It's not rumbling as much. It's not now rumbling, it's rumbling as much. Harder. Yeah, now it's rumbling hard. But like the moped in New Dog City hasn't feels like like when you start it has kind of a, like it has like feels like inertia in the controller. Um, when you use the, this is my all-time favorite thing. When you use the uproot in the Wooded Kingdom, the Joy-Con can make its rumble can make slight noises. That's a known thing. So what Nintendo did is for the uproot is it makes a little like because they extend and then they kind of top out and sort of wobble when they top out. So it goes, it does like a boing thing like off the Joy-Con rumble. So the thing that Nori goes is doing like little boinging sounds. I'm just like this, it's so perfect. And you don't really notice it unless you're playing um, in handheld mode where you have like the Joy-Cons like right up by your face but it, it's so perfect yeah so there, there's a lot to like about Mario Odyssey I think yeah it's it's one of those things where like there's nitpicks for every game I think we even did this with Zelda to some extent but it's we're only able to nitpick us the over and correct me if I'm misspeaking on your behalf here but the overarching game is so solid that it's much easier to point, find the nitpicks than if you know if the game sucked or if the game just didn't live up to the hype we just be like, well, the game sucks. Here's seven reasons why. But the fact they're like, really, it's really good. Except, you know, structurally, there's this little thing and there's this other thing. Like, that in of itself. I know. I would, not game, have, right? I would not have bothered to get to 600 yeah. Yeah. moons if I didn't enjoy the game. And I, I very much enjoyed the game that I'm willing to, like, yeah. I don't know, sift through the through same area for the, for the 20th over and over and for the over 20th over. time. Yeah. But... And, and by the way, it's not just uh, one last thought. It's not just Mario that has personality. All the enemies have personality too. Yeah, it's it's it, the game. Just characters. I love never... the new little um, skeleton dudes. Oh yeah, all the new little, little everything's great. This game is like <laughs> just the way that people talk too. Like it's so weird, but yeah, it's it, it reminds me of Banjo Kazooie. A lot of this game reminds me of Banjo Kazooie in a way. Banjo Kazooie was the original evolution of Mario sixty four. If you think about it, oh yeah, definitely. And this game, it was is only a matter of time before Mario finally that. took that whole like, oh, we don't have to kick you out of the level. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean they still found ways to like change the level without kicking you out completely. So exactly, I mean, yeah, it's it's just a really solid game. So I mean, well, I think we'll probably revisit. It. You want to give a final take once you beat it, right? So we'll probably yeah, revisit. I mean, it. yeah, because to me it's kind of like a movie. Like yeah, the ending will seals the deal. We'll, we'll either tell me like, yep, this game yeah. is better than the last. Because up until once I find out about this game, I've liked every 3D Mario game more than the last game or any 2D for that matter. Mm-hmm. I've always liked every, almost every game more than the pre the previous one. Right. So we'll see if that holds true. Yeah. Um, maybe in two weeks' time. Yeah. I've. I mean, I. I have to beat the main game, the main story, by next episode. So we'll have updates on Mario Odyssey then. But this is what's kind of our in progress playthrough impressions. And dude, I'm loving it. It might be my favorite Switch game. Like on a system that has so many great games, this is definitely the cream of the crop for me. It's 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 really fun. And quite frankly, if you're listening to the show and don't own Mario what are you doing like go get mario but we'll be back in two weeks time on november 26th which is the sunday of thanksgiving weekend in fact and now that i think about it, it's actually our sixth anniversary show 
Already? So, yeah. No. So we'll be, uh, we'll be back that episode. We'll probably talk a little bit more about Mario Odyssey. Um, have like kind of a ending to these impressions. We're just sort of leaving them out in the open or, you know, just kind of leaving them hanging right now. Uh, we'll also be sharing I impressions. I know, maybe Jason will, well, he should have gone to the credits, so. Well, well yeah, that's what we're, that's what I'm I know. Saying. I'm like, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, and then also we're going to have, at least I'm going to have impressions, hopefully. It depends on how much I have to play with Mario, but I'm hoping I have impressions of Doom. I'm picking that up soon. I'm very excited for Doom. Yeah. Um, among other games, I'm sure there's some stuff we'll be talking about as well. Of course, yeah, the there's a lot news. of games I'm picking up between now and yeah. Then. Plus, since it's our anniversary episode and all, we'll probably have some giveaways in store. I mean, obviously, one of us has to give away a ten dollars eShop card based on the bet. Whoever loses, but there may be some other things of physical nature that may interest you. Hint, hint. So yeah, to make sure you don't miss it, um, follow us on. Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Podcast Act, on TuneIn, which is a new one. But if you have an Amazon Echo, you can say "Play Ram Nintendo Podcast" and you will hear us come out of your Echo. That is a new thing we now do. We personally live talk into Echoes, and then you hear us. No, it's yeah, we, it's through TuneIn. So um, make sure you subscribe to us wherever, and we'll like I said, we'll be back in two weeks' time on twenty six with impressions and more. And a giveaway, and and a birthday, and other fun things. Oh, 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 oh,